You are listening to Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Well, hey there, all you triathlon studs and studettes. This is Coach Brett, and welcome to another great episode of Zen and the Art of Triathlon. Hey, this show is going to be really useful for all of you out there training and racing, trying to get your triathlon on, and trying to figure it out. We have an interview with Angela Nath, who won the Ironman, the inaugural Ironman Chattanooga with a smoking bike ride. And also, it's her first Ironman where she says she totally nailed down the nutrition. And I grill her on, get it, grill, food, nutrition. I grill her on um, what she ate, what she's been eating, uh, and training, and uh, yeah, do, what, uh, pacing, uh, all kinds of cool stuff. And it's a really handy interview. It's about 35 minutes long for those of us that are trying to figure out long course. I also do a review of Kona as it went down and uh, give you some nutrition and pacing and heat related tips that uh, you may find really handy. And then we go on into the training log. Well, actually, after that, we do uh, emails, answer some questions, and then we get into the training log and I get into how I got fast on the bike. I've had a I've had a huge jump in performance on the bike, and I did it with a very specific set of methods that you can easily duplicate if you pay pay attention and listen to what I'm saying. And what's so cool about a podcast is you can rewind this, play it over and over again, and also I'm available out in the real world at Twitter. Dot com under the uh, at Zentrapon handle. So let's go ahead and get started with let's let's do Angela's interview first, and then we'll talk about uh, Kona and what went down. All right, so here's Angela, champion of Ironman Chattanooga. Her I think it's her third Ironman, and she nailed it. Absolutely smoked it, and she's going to tell us how she did it. All right, here we go. Here's Angela. Hey, Angela, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing good. Well, I got to close my door or else my dogs are going to bark at whatever walks by on the street. Hey, <laughs> sounds good on a podcast, I'm sure. Yes. Hey, Roxy, <laughs> Roxy, baby, come here. Come on, you too. Kona, come here. Come on. Your dog's name is Kona? Yeah. That's so cliche. <laughs> it's inspiration. <laughs> Motivation. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever thought of getting to Kona or trying to get there? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All the time. Really? Yeah. Um, every year I get a little closer. And um, my my thing is nutrition, which I actually wanted to – that's why I was uh, asking you about that in our email. Oh, well, so, very cool. So I, that's why I had such um, – well, you've talked to so many different people. Do you have don't you don't have a plan yet? <laughs> <laughs> I only had enough money for one year of really good coaching. 
and uh, I think that if I signed up with, um, you don't mind if we go ahead and start recording, do you? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. Um, I'll, uh, I think that if I had the funds, I would sign up with Jesse Kropelnecki. Nice. And get it worked out. On yeah. What, and um, every month or so, I get something, uh, I get something nutritionally uh, worked out. And it ends up working out really, really good. So I've yet to have, I've yet to have a really good Ironman performance like I mm. should. Mm-hmm. That's like, um, that's at my level of what training shows I can do and what my half Ironmans show I can do. Mm-hmm. So if I do, I'm looking at a sub 10 hour, which is really good for an age grouper. So yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's very awesome. So, um, all right. I got an awesome list of questions for you and I'm super stoked to have you on <laughs> yes. and I think you're probably super stoked to be on to talk about what happened yeah I'm, I'm pretty excited <laughs> yeah I would be too this is really big so um you won Ironman Chattanooga I saw they sent you a whole bunch of uh, little Debbie stuff <laughs> they did. It was funny because at the uh, at the end of the the race, it just started to rain a little, uh-huh. and so you get really cold quickly. And so my my initial thing was just to get warm. Mm-hmm. So I missed all that post race food. I grabbed one slice of pizza, I think, but um, I didn't even have the whole thing because I was just freezing. You know, I just wanted to get warm, and so I missed all the little debbies that were out there. And yeah. I needed a fix. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Chattanooga so. is absolutely a beautiful part of the country. And, Hmm. um, I grew up, um, our lake, our family's lake house is one lake north of there. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it's just so gorgeous. So beautiful. So, so is your lake connected to the, Uh to the river? Yeah. It's on the Tennessee river and the Tennessee river channel itself in that lake flows almost just like a couple hundred feet. Uh, the house is up on a bluff. And so if you jump off the dock and swim out a little bit, then it's probably 200 feet deep right there where that channel goes down. Oh, nice. And it's so it's, it's just such a pretty part of the world. Yeah, uh, actually, um, the day after the race, we, we were able to go on a boat um, with some locals there. And they took us up the river, and then we went into, I forget what it's called, but um, it brings you up a level, and then you go into a lake. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. The gates, the gates going yeah. in and out of the river. Yeah. So that was so that was really cool. Yeah. So those those um, barges go up the river yeah. that way, and they'll carry coal or whatever, and um, they have to break the barges apart. And those are locks. That's what it's called. Yes. And so then um, then they reassemble the barge on the upside or downside of the locks. And mm-hmm. yeah, um, the lake that our house is on is on Watts Bar Lake, which is oh okay up one more lake or two. Yeah. So, you went. <laughs> this is crazy. You went eight fifty four, which, right? And do I have that right? Eight fifty four. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I thought you went eight fifty seven, but then they corrected for timing start differences, and mm-hmm. I was like, holy crap, eight fifty four. Well, the swim. Well, the swim was downstream. So yeah, but the bike was long, was, right? So it was. So I, you know, if you look, if you do the math, it kind of correlates because I think it took eight minutes for that last four miles mm-hmm. of the bike. And I guess you could justify putting the eight minutes onto the swim, but yeah. um, 
either way, it was a race, and that's just how the how the race was, and yeah. how and how it played out. So yeah, and um, and that actually kind of worked out to your advantage for the bike to be long, I guess. Now that yeah, you know, it. the more the <laughs> the more time on on two wheels, the better. Yeah, the better. So um, you did. Uh, you've done. This is your third Ironman, mm-hmm. and your first one was Tahoe a year ago, and um, you got like like fifth or something, I believe. And yes. And then, and you were doing that one uh, mostly for the experience, and uh, we interviewed you after that, right? You did. Yeah, yes. that was a fun interview. And then um, you uh, you did Melbourne, right? Yes. Okay, mm-hmm. and I, I I forgot what place did you get in that one. Um, I believe I was sixth or fifth. Okay. Um, but I had a disastrous experience, and so I no. try to wipe it from my memory. <laughs> <laughs> well, did you get to see any kangaroos or anything while you were no, out there? No, didn't you get to see a kangaroo? Oh. I did. Like, I absolutely loved Australia. I had yeah. a great homestay with two gals, and we had so much fun. I was there for about two weeks. Yeah. Um, but the actual race itself um, didn't go quite as planned. So. Uh, so what happened? Well. I think I had, well, I'm, I did have Giardia, but I didn't know at the time. Oh, that's right. I, I remember you tweeted. I with Giardia until May. Yeah. Um, so I actually dealt with a lot of issues for two months. Yeah. And so I wasn't quite sure what it was. And finally, I just went to a doctor and got um, a pill that would actually kill Giardia. And the very next day, it was like, because I, I guess if you take this pill after 24 hours, if you do have it, mm-hmm. it'll make you change to back to where you're supposed to be, you know, like yeah. 100%. So and that's exactly feel it. what happened. Yeah. So I actually think I got it in Panama. Um, the water isn't too safe down there, I don't think, to actually yeah. swim in. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's probably where I, where it started. But um, yeah, and so the race itself, you know, mile 10 onward, even before the race, I was having a lot of issues. And then mile 10 onward was just um, lots of GI issues. Couldn't really feed myself during the bike. And uh-huh. uh, just a lot of disastrous issues in terms of fueling properly and 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 so um, it was it was it was hard to to get something on paper of what I wanted to do because Tahoe was such a different race in itself. You know, it was freezing cold, and um, you know, if you compare that Ironman to any standard Ironman, you know, it was snowing before the race, so it was it was just more of um, a survival yeah. during Tahoe. And I think I could could have gotten away with a lot during there because it was a lot slower up there and. Um, just a totally different race than than what I would assume an Ironman would be as my first one. Yeah, but maybe next time you do a uh, tropical race, then yes. right afterwards you just go ahead and get the Giardia pill. <laughs> yeah, I, you know now that I know that there is something like that out there. Yeah, that's actually a really good. Idea. That probably wouldn't be. Yeah. Uh, so at Chattanooga, you averaged twenty four miles per hour on the bike for the full one hundred and sixteen miles. Which I, is, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember uh, looking at your average, and yeah, twenty four point zero, like on the button. And um, did you act? Do you actually um, do you post your watts from workouts or from races at all? Um, you know, I haven't, and I guess I could. You know, um, that that would be an option to definitely do. Um, you know, I use um, SRM. Yeah. And have all my power data files and stuff, and um, it's been it's been great to have because you know you can see the changes throughout year to year and uh-huh. race to race. So, well, um, but I've never actually done that. Maybe I will actually. Did you? Yeah. Did you? Okay, so we're gonna get nerdy here for a moment. Did you? Do you know if you like negative split it or 
Did you? I did not. Actually, every because I I hit my mile. Like I broke the race into quarters, uh-huh. so every twenty miles. Um, and every so when I was racing, I don't I don't necessarily look at power all the time, but the time the times were one ten, one ten, one ten, one oh eight, and then I did the last and changed for the last four miles that we had extra on the bike. Okay. Uh, um. Let's see. Yeah, I think SRM would be would be stoked to have you post that that's so cool especially because you're and specialized too because you're such the uh the queen of the bike it'd be pretty yeah. <laughs> for people to see that and yeah it gives people something to to work towards you know yeah you know i always i always don't put like i guess maybe i i'm kind of naive in that sense but i don't put too much stock into wattage because mm-hmm. Well, it obviously shows how much work I've done, but I mean, as a day-to-day manner, um, I do look at it, but I also look on the fact that every race is so different, you know? Um, uh, it's good to have as a result number and then to compare yourself for, for, for other races, yeah. but I think things change. Like, you have to use power, but then you also have to look at the race itself, like the weather, the the dynamics of the race you know i raced all by myself i was able to race my own race where yeah you know somewhere like kona or somewhere in the men's race even you know they had a pack of 10 20 guys together and that changes your 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 power output yeah dramatically so i have i just have a hard time believing that there's such a there's enough of a draft effect the way you guys are spaced out but everybody keeps saying there is Mm. on the the bike like enough to stay with a pack even if it's um a mental break, you know, if, if you have someone ahead of you and you can just, and the only thing you need to do is keep up with that wheel. Yeah. It's like, it's a mental break. And so that's, so that's a lot less stress on your system. And so in that sense, you know, I think aerobically everything just seems a lot better. Um, but I think, but, but power wise, I believe there is a draft. There is a huge draft when I'm behind other people when I'm just training, and I'm definitely within those meters. Yeah. Um, so I don't know the exact numbers, of course, but yeah. um, I know there is one for sure. So um, to set up this interview, I emailed you and said, hey, you know, you want to do an interview? And then also I said, um, hey, what did you do on the, on, the, on this race? <laughs> Uh, because you, I think you mentioned in the press or in an interview or something that you worked on your nutrition and, and got mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff figured out. And I said, I, if, if you can, if you want to say what you did, um, uh, or if you can't, can you tell me? Because <laughs> I want to <laughs> know. And you said, I'll tell anybody because um, Jesse Kropelnecki helps you out, mm-hmm. right? And he did. You, want- you know, I um, a friend of mine did. Doug McLean um, works with with QT too, but uh-huh. I actually contacted the Core Diet and Jesse, mm-hmm. and so Core Diet is kind of a separate entity, but they're combined by the same person. Yeah. Um, but what I did, I, I connected with him because they they had definitely help out a lot of triathletes, athletes of all sorts in terms of any type of nutrition issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I first inquired and read a lot on their website and. Um, I thought, well, you know, it's worth a try. I've tried, I've tried other things in training. I've tried, you know, um, different type of ratios of macronutrients, mm-hmm. and I just always had some type of GI issue. Yeah. So I decided to contact 
the core diet and they definitely helped provide me a plan and I had to kind of rehaul the way that I thought. Yeah. Um, and that took a while actually. But so, the more practice I had in training, um, the less GI issues I had post-training because I would actually have issues during training. Yeah. Um, and then it just slowly kind of progressed into where I felt confident and I um, I had a plan and objective in terms of what I wanted to eat on the bike and the run and just to keep hydrated and ready to race. And so, um, it you know, it's my third one. It was my first time kind of working with them and that and their plan and it and it worked out so it was awesome yeah i had a really good interview with jesse on the show maybe half a year ago to a year ago mm. and it was so good and i think so many people needed to hear that we talked about the uh, fueling window where um, mm-hmm. people don't eat enough and then um they go into the they go into the run um and they've missed their window of uh getting in enough calories to be able to run off of Mm-hmm. I want to ask you about that in a second, but um, what were you doing before, and then, and then what did you change to that that they pointed out to you that made well, sense? Well, um, like Mark, Mark Allen's always advised me to try to get in 300 calories an hour, mm-hmm. and whenever I would try it on the bike, I just it was. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it in all my training, and so it was very hard for me to ingest that. But he knew that's pretty much what I needed if I wanted to run well right. um, off the bike. Right. And so I, I would try and try and try, and it was just, it was just hard for me to get them in. And I think it was what I was eating prior to working out, also, and just kind of putting it all together. Um, it was a big puzzle, and um, so. Sorry, I totally lost my train of thought. What was my question? <laughs> well, like, yeah, what were you doing before and then what were you doing after? Oh, yeah, after? what was I doing before? Yeah. So prior, you know, a lot of the times I wouldn't even eat on the bike. You know, I'd ride oh. for two or three hours and just oh drink God. water and, you know, try to get into that fat, that fat-burning metabolism and just uh-huh. go by feel. You know, a lot of yeah. people experience by feel. And, and, you know, I could ride. I could train. Um, I definitely was training well, Mm -hmm. but I would have a lot of on and off days. I would, um, you know, the next day maybe not feel as good or it would be two, two or three days later. And, you know, I'd have a really crappy training day. And, um, so there was no consistency in that sense. And so, um, I started just, um, actually working with the core diet and, and looking at the windows, you know, what I could eat prior to training, you know, having, a little bit of grains here and there, um, prior and post and, you know, getting the recovery, um, shaken. And, um, it's just, it was just a whole change of what, of what I used to do. I used to eat a lot of high fat prior to training and, you know, that stuff would stay in my gut. I even tried, um, eating a lot of fat during rides. Yeah. Tried that. Um, and you know, and I could definitely train that way, but to correlate that to a very high intensity, uh, race, um, and even Ironman, it's, it was, you know, it didn't work in, in, uh, in Melbourne. And although I did have Giardia, you know, I still have a lot of issues and, um, I just did not want to experience that. (laughs) (laughs) I have done exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. It's not fun. (laughs) I I got, um, I got, uh, kind of sucked into doing too much of the high fat stuff and then not Mm -hmm. eating enough, you know? During mm-hmm. workouts to try to do the um, to try to do the fat burning zone and all that, and then the more I pay attention to 
what Jesse said and um, and uh, some other pros that have worked with him. Mm. And I'm, um, I'm trying to think, uh, Sammy Inkinen, who's a, who's a high fat guy, you know, and low sugar and mm. all that other stuff, mm. but really paying it, really reading between the lines in his blog posts about training and what he was doing, which mm. was, um, let's say we're just talking about cycling off the bike, um, really high quality diet, like mm-hmm. very, very high quality. And then as you get really close to a workout and then during the workout and then after the workout, you really make a goal out of uh, getting in the calories that you need. And then your workout's not over until you had your recovery, (laughs) your Mm -hmm. recovery fuel, food, whatever. And then what that does is that sets you up so that when the work, so later when you're not working out, you're not craving all kinds of carbs and all kinds of stuff again because you've gotten them in during your workout when you need them and in your rebuilding yeah. uh, and your recovery and then you can go back to eating healthy again and um, higher higher protein uh, lower carb while you're not working out and then it's like a cycle that perpetuates itself mm-hmm. oh yeah definitely you know um, I think I think if you were to look at the the workout itself and what you're doing to your body, you need. Oh, did we lose you? Definitely would have that late night, you know, snacking and and lots of cravings and and now like after the bike and I and I have my session done, I really crave vegetables and fruit and lean meats. Like I like I have huge cravings for them, um, and so it's really easy for me to eat that healthy food post post exercise because. It's what my body wants, you know. Right, so. and you've taken so. care of the, you've taken care of all the glycogen that you need. Yeah, for your muscle, yeah. and that's that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah, and then you start having like really great, consistent workouts that really show improvement mm-hmm. because you yeah, recover um, really smart. Yeah, exactly, definitely. Wow. Okay. Cool. So, Jesse Kropelnicki. <laughs> yeah. Uh, QT2 systems. Uh, well, the core diet. The core the, diet. Yeah. Diet, yeah. And. Um, yeah, and I've been through their website a lot, and I, I really enjoy what they're doing. So, okay. yeah, I, I think there's I think there's a lot of podcasts, or I guess they're not called podcasts. Um, I forget what they're called, webinars or something that you uh-huh. can sign up for and and really learn a lot of information from them. Yeah, and I think they have a forum too, right? The Core Diet yes. Forum. And stuff. Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so. Um, Let's talk about uh, Kona and next year. And, and Oh, well, I have a question about uh, Chattanooga again. So mm-hmm. um, Paul couldn't make it into the call, but I'm going to let you answer the questions for him so oh, okay. you can make him say what you want. Sweet. <laughs> okay. So um, so Paul, Paul was there, and um, I looked at the results. He didn't race. So was he full support mode for you at this one? He was full support mode, and uh, I owe him a lot. You know, it's it's a hard day out there, and for him to to yeah. be out there and be there post race and pre race, and it's it's a bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, I I've supported my my wife at a bunch of different kinds of races, and uh, I'll went through a half Ironman, and um, it's it's it make the time does fly by, and it's like really exciting to be support for somebody. You get mm-hmm. really get really into it, so. Mm-hmm. Um, where did you tell him to be for the race? You know, I didn't really tell him anything. The course itself, like, 
we had to be on a bus to for, for the start of the race. And yeah. so I said my quick goodbyes in the morning and he was at transition um, area. And so then we swam downstream to 2T1. So I saw him there just as I was getting on my bike. Uh-huh. Um, I think uh, I did. Do you and acknowledge then, him or do you just like blow oh, by? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah okay. definitely. And then he was <laughs> able to get onto the uh, to the bike course. Uh-huh. Um, it, it was a lollipop pop course so a lot of um people that wanted to watch the race there was a road in between the lollipop like uh-huh. the circle of the lollipop yeah so he so he saw me about four times because he just cool. needed to drive across and then we drove in a bit i'm like we rode in a big circle uh-huh so every time i gave him i gave him a big thumbs up because uh, i felt good so yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple and then the next time i saw him was just before mile one on the run um, and then I saw him maybe two or three more times. He, um, just on the run where, wherever he was located. I, I can't quite recall where, but yeah. he was definitely around. And, um, what do you have him, uh, do you have him yell anything to you or what does he say to you while you go by? Just go. No, you know, we never really talk about yeah. what he'll say. Um, when, when he watched me in Tahoe, there was a point in Tahoe because I was quite nervous about that first race um, yeah. where I just – I didn't want to fight for my position. I just wanted to finish. Yeah. And he was yelling at me like, get going. You know, she's right ahead there and everything. And I and I just couldn't take it at that point. But this race, you know, I, I was – I very – I felt prepared mentally. I had, I had really good objectives in my head and what I wanted to do. And so – I think he was just like any other support out there, you know, definitely cheering me on, like kind of just reading my face and he knows me quite well. So he knows what to say. Um, I can't quite recall what he said, but it was definitely good. So, and when the race is over, what does he, what does he do for you? Does he go find well, you food in was, a blanket or what? Yeah. You know, he, he, he's just awesome and I'm very grateful to have him in my life, but yeah. He uh, he was at the finish line, and he was able to actually get into the finishing shoot. So he was the first one I really saw. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. yeah, so that was really awesome. Yeah, so. and then the day after was y'all's uh, anniversary. It was. You know, we don't – we didn't – we totally forgot. And oh, you forgot? <laughs> yeah, it was funny because two or three days prior, we were at our homestay, and we were just talking about um, – who we were and, and and how we met. And then we were like, oh, yeah, and, and we got married. And they're like, well, when? And we're like, oh, well, actually, in about three days is our first year anniversary. Like, it just came up randomly. Yeah. And so then, you know, then I was just focused on the race, and I didn't even think about it until I, um, Mike Riley asked me on the PA. So someone must have told him. I'm not sure how he found out. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, and then I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, so when you're when you're leading the race, I, I know on the run the the female pros have um, a bicycle, like mm-hmm. you know, and and sometimes with the the do they do the dry erase board with uh, who's in front and stuff while you're while they're on the bike? Um, I'm sure they do at some races, but not but not this one that I was at. Um, I know they do in Kona. I'm I'm not sure if they do it at, at um, every Ironman for sure. Uh, okay, so and yeah. when you're uh, leading on the bike, do they have a motorcycle escort with you or? Or is that just for the very, very front pro guys? No, we actually did have a motorcycle. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I, I didn't take the lead on the bike until I think about mile 70. And then, uh, oh, and then there true. was a lead. There were some, like, it's that New Zealand uh, female. Yeah, Anna Cleaver. She's, she, she's actually from Chattanooga now. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And so it was kind of a home race for her. Uh, yeah, she's, she's a machine. 
on speed the demon in, in that water. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That was nuts. Yeah. Her time was like 35 minutes or something. <laughs> it's crazy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, let's talk about, uh, next year real quick. Um, I just got to say from the outside looking in, I mean, the reason I keep bugging you for interviews is because I, it's, it's obvious to me and I've told you this, that you've got, you've got Kona level, um, ev- everything, right? And, and you've proven that on the swim or on the uh, bike and the run easily. Like you can perform at that level and your swim is fantastic. I remember one time you asking me for um, like what I could help you with with swimming and I, I gave you some tips and then I looked up your swim times and I'm like, you're faster than I am. So what yes. am I even doing? But well, uh, it's always funny because swimming's tough. Um, you know, I, I've tried variety of things. I've tried, um, you know, lots of swimming, less swimming. And so now like I'm, I'm taking a little bit of a different approach and, and I'm talking with my coach and, and figuring that out. But, um, it's definitely a work in progress all the time. And so if there's always something that will kind of just like, I feel I have the fitness. I just, there's, you know, there's something needs to click. <laughs> so I'm always trying to figure that out. But yeah. you know, we, I, I remember us chatting a little bit about the metronome and using that and I've been using that. It's been really helpful because mm-hmm. what I find in the water is I tend to lose focus on the bike. I can just zone in uh, on the run. I can zone in. And I think it has to do well, actually, I'm, I have no idea what it does, what, what it, how I do it. But the swim, it's always been a difficult thing for me to kind of just zone in to it. And so the metronome just clears my mind, and I can just focus on that beat, 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 beat. Yeah. So I'm trying that out, and we're, we'll see where that takes me. <laughs> I think with swimming, the, there's so many different tools that yeah. um, what you do is it would, it's really cool that you're you're like reaching out all kinds of people and, and for help, you know, to figure it out because there's, you never know what it's like you were saying, you never know what it's going to be. That's going to make it click, mm. make it going to, yeah. make it going to click for you. And, um, but at the same time, you definitely need to prioritize. Right. Like, and, um, the, um, my coach and I now are like, we're being quite strict in, in terms of what I'm going to be progressing to. And so rather than, you know, trying this, trying that, working with this coach and, you know, going to masters here and that it's, it's too much changeover. And so we're definitely making it more simple, you know, what I've done on the bike, what I've done on the run. Um, and so hopefully that's, yeah, that's a benefit. And then what's cool about the different tools is once, once you've experienced the array of different swimming tools, then you know, kind of like how each one improves you. And then mm-hmm. you can be like, okay, I need to work on this. Well, this is the right tool to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like if you want like to zone in on something, the metronome's perfect, right? If mm-hmm. you want to do more upper body power, then it's like weightlifting and um, like swimming against uh, a tether, you know, where you, the yeah. surgical tubing against the wall and try to swim to the other side, that kind of stuff. And that makes or you, you use a monofin and just yeah. <laughs> monofin your way across the pool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's like all these cool tools, but if you didn't grow up with a swimming background, you don't really know about them, you know, and what they mm-hmm. can do, or you might forget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so you're working on the swim, right? And mm-hmm. I think though, I remember it, like it was Melbourne or something like that. You did like a fifty, a low fifty something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your your swim's really impressive already, and I would be happy with. It. Yeah. <laughs> but you got to you got to be there, like right there in the lead, and. So, um, KPR points, um, for next year, 
um, how how many points? It's like a moving target, right? You don't know how many points you need. It or, is a moving target, yeah. And they yeah. they made some changes for next year, which I think are great changes. They have about five or six Ironmans, I believe, that are championship races. So they're worth four thousand points. Okay. Um, and if you win one of those, then you get an automatic slot into Kona. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, you got to so win that, one. So that's, a, so that's a good opportunity. Yeah. The other, the other thing is they cut down on the number of Ironmans that pros can get points to. And they also um, made all the other all the other Ironmans a standard 2,000 points. So my win in Chattanooga provided 2,000 points. Um, so I'm looking at it probably doing another Ironman early season or mid-season. And that, and then some halves, of course, um, and then that should that should help qualify me. Um, in the past, they've allowed up to five Ironman results toward the KPR, so that was kind of to my downfall because I didn't want to race another Ironman prior to Kona this year. Nah. And so some some gals, you know, did about five five Ironmans, and with all those points, they like I got dropped out of the KPR. Um, so this next year, they're only allowing three Ironmans as your as, as, as part of your full KPR standing, yeah. um, which will make a big change in terms of um, the actual list. Yeah, I saw, um, as I kept posting updates to the KPR list, your name was just hovering on the edge. Yeah. And, <laughs> and I know that's really frustrating because it's like, well, you could go race another race and get some points, right? But mm-hmm. then you would be exhausted, and then for Kona, and um, and you could get injured, right? Racing is dangerous, mm-hmm. so there's all mm-hmm. kinds of scary stuff that could happen. Then you then you have to spend a lot of money to go to Kona, which your sponsors would like and would give you some exposure, but then what does it do for you if you're not really ready to go mm-hmm. because you're too tired? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> so it's like and so I, yeah. I saw I was watching you just kind of like sitting on the fence about it and just kind of letting it. Uh, so let's say that, that that you did get in this past year for 2014. Mm-hmm. Would you have gone? Um, oh yes. Oh yeah. Definitely, I would. You know, if it, I you know, at that point, if it was meant to be, it was meant to be. I guess uh-huh. I put it. I, I put it in someone else's hands. But um, yeah, if uh, if I if I got in, I would definitely go. You know, it's it's an opportunity that doesn't come very often when you get into there. Um, when you sort of expect it, but not. But you know. You're down quite low, yeah. um, so you know the more the more experience you get, the better. And so I would, yes, I would have definitely you been there. Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, what do you got uh, sponsor wise and and stuff coming up that you want to uh, tell us about? Anything cool? Um, well, all my sponsors are awesome. You know, I'm 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 with some great companies. I plan to plan to stay with them, and um, you know, everyone's just really supportive. I get phone calls pre and post race or emails and um i just love them all you know i i try to connect with sponsors that want to grow with me and um see the changes itself and and i just i'm very humbled to be with them and and honored and it's it's awesome actually one thing i'm excited this weekend is the red bull air race um here in vegas yeah i've never experienced that and actually red bull's coming this weekend and so we're all gonna head out there and and kind of check that out. So yeah. Paul's stoked because yeah. <laughs> he really likes you know fast moving things and, and craziness. <laughs> but uh, it, it'll be an experience, that's for yeah. sure. Y'all stay in a safe place, like yeah. a safe yeah. distance I, away. 
Yeah, I hear they uh, that they come like right directly under you and toward you, and yeah. um, so it should be really fun. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Those air shows kind of scare me. Sometimes. Yeah. They, yeah. They're pretty intense. Cool. Yeah. And like you were saying about your sponsors, and I was saying earlier, just I I remember it was at Chemo was your first race uh, that mm-hmm. I saw you at. You came to mm-hmm. Texas and did this race, an Olympic, and just crushed it. And it was like. Man, this girl is is gonna go places. This is really cool. And then what's been really cool is watching you like slowly, t- watching you take your time, you know, mm-hmm. and um, and you know, get you did a whole bunch of uh, half Ironmans, and then mm-hmm. and got you know thirds and seconds and stuff, and then started winning them like consistently because you grew into it, so that you could win them, and then on a regular basis, and then. And then now watching this uh, at the full Ironman level is just nuts. It's so cool watching. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah it's it, it's been a it's been a ride. You know, I've had definitely big ups and downs. I've yeah, sure. I've had injuries and setbacks and changes in my life. And yeah. um, but you know that's life. That's and you learn from every single race. And and uh, you know it's it's just been fun. It's it's definitely been you know it's my life. I love it. And so everything that happens the the positives and the negatives, you know, they all they all come up to where to where you are now, and yeah, um, yeah, it's 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 been good. Cool. All right, well, um, stay on the line, and yeah. we'll uh, we'll let you go here. All right. All right. Take care. <laughs> Bye. All right. Thank you so much, Angela. You can always find out tons more about Angela at AngelaNath.com. She's sponsored by Specialized and Pearl Izumi. And her husband, Paul Duncan Jr., is a triathlon coach. And you know that he's taking what she's doing and folding that into his training programs. So that's a really smart thing. Get coached by Paul. <laughs> he, can, he can see what Angela's doing and apply it to you. It's genius. All right. Let's uh, move on to Kona. And let's see, there's been lots of reviews out there already, and I've made some notes since the race, and actually, I've been meaning to get this show out sooner and earlier, but I am in peak training for my own race that's coming up, Austin 70.3, which is at the end of this week, and um, that elevated training hours and effort has resulted in uh, less time, more sleeping, and more eating, and so... (laughs) I haven't had as much time as I've wanted to to uh, put out a show, but that's the cool thing about podcasting is I, I put it out as soon as I can find time. And now we've got some time, so let's go over Kona. I broke it up into highs and lows, so some highs, and there's lots more than this. And listen, go check out Tawny Prazak's uh, podcast feed for you on all the interviews, and I, I was just blown away by what Tawny was able to pull off down there. She is... Endurance Planet is the de facto best coverage of the Ironman uh, that I've ever seen. Any years prior, uh, Tawny nailed it. So uh, if you want lots more analysis, go check out uh, her podcast. Okay, but um, Sebastian Keenley, um, well, Torsten Rad, I think it was Torsten, uh, put out a stat that the most common factor between all Kona winners are is are that 
they came within the top four of the years previous. There was the rare outlier, like Chrissy Wellington's first ever appearance. And, of course, the first ever Iron Man, <laughs> Gordon Haller, won. And there's there's a few uh, occasions kind of here and there where it's not top four, but generally it's top four. And Sebastian's been uh, top four for a while. And let's see. He proved that racing there a bunch helps, and so does Rennie. Um, that race, there's a lot of dynamics going on in that race, and knowing how different scenarios scenarios play out is really, really handy, and you don't know those until you've seen them a few times. So if you have plans to do awesome at Kona, you might want to plan uh, going and racing a few times before you actually kill it there. And that's why people like to go train there so they get a, a better handle on it. Um, then uh, Sebastian and Rennie uh, proved that um, you really, if possible, you ought to run your own race. What happens is, is the bike takes off. And then you get this crazy accordion effect on the bike where all these pros think that they have to draft off of each other to, um, and draft within legal, you know, they're not cheating. I'm just saying they're drafting in this little draft window off of each other. But then what happens is you get a wave, um, and this is like particle physics, you get wave action where it's an accordion effect is every time, um, the person in the lead, uh, encounters a rise or a headwind, they slow down, but the people behind them, it takes a moment for them to uh, need to slow down too. And so they start piling into each other kind of uh, uh, figuratively. They kind of pile into each other like a wave, like a crest on a wave starts piling up, right? Well, then the people in the back have to apply a lot of uh, braking to not um, get busted for getting too close to the person in front of them. Right? The person in front doesn't really have to worry about this all that much. And then that person in front, uh, when it starts going downhill, takes off. And then the person that is way that was uh, legal drafting distance behind is now way behind because the person has been going downhill longer. And to catch into that draft window again, the person that's way behind has to pedal really hard to keep up. So what happens is, is you have people that are um, but this belief that they've got to stay in this drafting window to stay really close, to stay as close as possible to this distance. It's like, you know, like seven or 10 meters or something like that. Um, to stay at that limit, they end up um, slowing down and accelerating and slowing down and accelerating to stay in this spot. And then what this, what this does is constant... Um, surges and accelerations actually wear you out faster. And then you get um, where these uh, people are more tired uh, this uh, on the run, because now they've started the run, now they're more tired than their competition who wasn't dealing with all this. So, um, and you, in long course triathlon, what you want to do is you want to minimize this variability, this surging uh, because it does wear you out. It's like climbing little hills when everybody else is riding flat, right? Okay, so uh, this is this, this is wearing me out talking about it. So uh, Rennie uh, came from way behind, right, and just passed people. She wasn't worried about the uh, trying to stay in a draft window. She just rode, 
and people will talk about how much nicer it is to be like that. And Sebastian Keenley, as soon as he he came from behind too, he was actually back in the swim, and then he slowly passed everybody, and then eventually got out in front, and then didn't have to worry about anybody. So watching this race, these race dynamics for years and years and years, um, this surging accordion effect is the thing that you want to stay away from so much if you're doing. Um, any kind, if you're at the front end of any kind of race, you either want to get off of that and back off of it and let them do that while you sit back just a little bit and watch it go off on the horizon, kind of like Rennie does, uh, which is a benefit of going a little bit slower on the swim because you don't leave the water and they get mixed in with this big pack, this accordion pack that's going on. Or um, if you're so awesome like Sebastian is work through that group and then get out on the front, and then you don't have to deal with it at all. And in interviews, you'll they'll say it's it's like the difference between swimming in uh, clean water versus um, swimming not in a draft, but just in a mix of people that are hitting you and kicking you and stuff. It just exhausts you after a while, and that's why you'll see the front pack in uh, Ironman. Um, a lot of times it explodes or everybody just wears themselves out and they come apart and then they have a uh, they don't even make it all the way through the bike ride in top shape, but they definitely come apart in the run. Okay, so you can see that totally happened in this race. And then um, also Zentri podcast interviewee from last year before the race, Jody Swallow, who DNF'd last race, um, got her act straight and got fourth, which is huge, huge for her. So that was really cool to see. Okay, so some lows. is I was really hoping Luke McKenzie would win and he had a very frustrating uh, race and um, that's very typical of uh, winners from the year before they have so many sponsorship commitments and stuff Uh, well he got second the year before but he was he got a lot of publicity from that Um, they end up not being able to focus on their training as much okay we got something really interesting here John Newsom got sick and walked the run. Okay, so John Newsom is the former pro that is the co-host of I Am Talk that I'm sure a bunch of y'all listen to. And I was listening to his race report and um, he said, yeah, he got he got sick on the run and they were talking about it and then they go, well, um, he'll have to analyze it and try to figure out what's going on. And I was listening to what ha- what he was saying just before that, and it, to me it was totally obvious. So check this out. Um, there's two things. One's very obvious is that uh, he mentions towards the end of the bike ride that he went through an aid station or two um, with no water. And that will make you sick to your stomach because you need to drink water with your fuel or else you'll get sick to your stomach. And I've done this a million times, so uh, I'm not saying I'm smarter than that. I'm saying this is what happens. <laughs> I knowing what I know now, I might pull over and stop at the aid station and go, I'm going to stand here until you get me some water, you know, and make wait for a minute or two for them to gather up some find uh, water for you. Because it's actually that critical in a hot race. You need water or else you can't eat. So if you go through an aid station and there's no water, you might consider not eating anything because if you do eat something without the water to uh, put it down, then um, you might get really, really sick. Um, at most, you could drink like Performer Gatorade or something like that because it's got the water built in with the calories. But still, man, that's rough. So that's your that's your first indicator right there. Second one is that 
um, he was doing, and I don't know like how much of it he really did, how much he followed through with it, but um, this thing where you're trying to do the uh, the fat optimization by uh, uh, eating less during workouts and, and such, um, turns out a classic problem that pops up when you do that is um, not being able to uh, consume the calories later on in an Ironman without getting sick. And that's what happened to him. So I'm not saying those dots are necessarily connected, but there's a dashed line <laughs> between those two dots. So those of you that are fans of I Am Talk, um, over the next, go listen to his Kona review and then over some uh, um, of the next ep- episodes that are coming out and see if those seem the same to you. It seemed, it seemed kind of obvious to me. Okay, um, another bummer was I wanted to see Frodino, Jan Frodino, really kick ass in this race. I was expecting him maybe to win, and he uh, he made a some kind of um, uniform screw up with his uh, with his shirt. He had to turn back and go back around or something. And again, this is another. Um, I'm gonna turn on my car here for a second. Get some AC going. This is another example of why racing at Kona a bunch of times makes you smarter at racing Kona and um, you got race day nerves you, you should get to the island early and get all this kind of stuff sorted out and do lots of visualization and scenarios and stuff like that so you're not trying to so you don't do things those those are accidents that uh, practice kind of um, whittles down to uh, as few as possible so that kind of sucked uh, Jody Swallow got some kind of penalty out at the front of the bike and um, had to had to sit back so that kind of sucks and it's still unclear on what exactly happened and it's kind of like uh, penalty gate everybody's trying to figure out what's going on <laughs> um, Magnus Backstead who's a former pro cyclist um, didn't do so hot during the race and sounds like his um he either had an injury or he was sick, so he was disappointed, and I was disappointed uh, for him because I'm kind of a fan. And then um, also, uh, I've noticed a pattern, and I don't think people are are doing it on purpose. And I think we ought to th- recognize this and um, start counteracting it as as much as we can. And so what happens is after a race, you see this with pros, but with lots of people too. After the race, all of a sudden all the excuses come out on Twitter, right? So Starkey uh, mentioned that uh, that he's been on crutches and all stuff. And um, the problem is, is it, it even though it's not, it comes across as um, that you're making excuses for a performance, right? So I thought, I've been thinking about this. I'm like, well, what's the, what's the cure for this? Because it's obviously not the way, what's going on is you got all kinds of things wrong with you going into the race. All kinds of things could come up. And if you sat there and listed them off, you know, people would be like, oh my God, shut up, you know? But I think that we ought to start making a pre-race list of things that <laughs> could go wrong. The injury, lingering injuries that you're worried about, problems that you have, and then that way when you tweet about it uh, after the race, then it doesn't sound like you're making up an excuse. So I'll go ahead and get started. 
Uh, my left Achilles tendon really is bothering me, and uh, mostly while trail running. But Austin has a uh, 70 point, uh, Austin half has a nice little hill on the run. I'm a little bit worried about that. And, uh, and also the run out of the swim could kind of tweak my Achilles tendon. And I'm trying to think what else. Um, what else is going on? I tend to uh, mess up my nutrition in any race that's a half Ironman or longer. So there's always that possibility. And I've never biked on this bike course before. I've been out on the run some, but um, I could easily wreck on this bike course uh, because I don't know what the hell I'm doing out there. And a lot of it's out on uh, Texas country roads where, there, I don't know, there could be cattle guards and blind corners and broken glass and potholes. And also the rain, it could rain. And, and uh, in Texas, we get really strong thunderstorms. So who knows, you know, I could be blinded. And um, it could be really hot or it could be really cold. And I'm... Uh, uh, tall and big and I don't shed heat easily and also I'm very heat adapted so I'm fragile in the cold that's my long list of things of uh, ways I could screw up my race so after the race I can just uh, uh, use any of those as a touchstone for uh, uh, that's why I screwed up okay Um, all right and so what's next after Kona there's so much more like I said with Kona that happened I'm not even mentioning Um, oh somebody uh was injured or something like that a female and and dropped out and it was too late for the next female in line to uh pick up her spot for kono so that kind of sucks um and then one more was angela hey wait hold up a minute this is brett from the future <laughs> i was i finished recording this whole podcast and as i sat down to master it i guess is what we like to call it and put it together i got two things in my email in my message box that uh, popped up that I wanted to include in the show and this is actually the best spot to wedge it in so let's go ahead and cover them real quick one is we got audio from the real Starkey who's famous in triathlon circles of the beer mile it's behind the scenes audio of the beer mile that a bunch of pros and celebrities were involved with triathlon celebrities we're like we're like uh, C-list celebrities. celebrities. Triathlon celebrities got involved with at the um, at Kona, and that's why I put it in right here. And they, um, it's it's got Jesse Thomas in it. It's a beer mile, um, and AJ Balco, by the way, uh, two very top-notch pro triathletes that just happened for whatever reason to not make uh, Kona, and then a whole bunch of other guys. Uh, now that I think about it, no women involved. I guess girls are too smart for this. And uh, maybe we'll see one next year. And a beer mile is where you drink a beer and then run 200 yards or 200 meters, probably 200 yards, um, uh, around the track. Is it 200 yards? It's not 200 yards. But anyways, it, you run a loop around the track and, you know, four loops make a mile. So it's um, – and then you you drink a beer every loop. And whoever finishes the fastest wins. There is a guy in a gorilla suit, which is a slow twitch reference. And um, uh, Dave Mira was there helping uh, MC it. There's a video of this online, but actually this audio file has more than the uh, than the video of what's going on. So it's cool. You get to hear uh, some of the behind the scenes of this beer mile. It was done at sunset, I guess the evening 
before Kona. And um, <laughs> AJ pukes at the end. Uh, it's a whole a whole lot of uh, hilarity and uh, some really good fun. It's very old school, old fashioned fun uh, triathlon style. So, um, and then the other piece of information that I got uh, ties in with this as the uh, Kona Beer Mile sponsor, I guess, is what we'll <laughs> describe them as. Um, sponsoring this part of the show is. Um, not related at all, but I decided to say this segment is sponsored by, um, let me pull it up right here. Uh, the Comrades Triathlon, or Comrades Marathon, sorry, it's not a triathlon in any means. It is huge. Comrades Marathon in South Africa. And um, there's a travel company called Kerr and Downey, K E R and Downey, and it's D-O-W-N-E-Y, and they're a travel agency, and they do tours in South Africa. They do them apparently all over the world. I was looking at their website, kerdowney.com, K-E-R-D-O-W-N-E-Y.com, and one of their VPs contacted me and said, hey, we'd like to sponsor uh, your show and uh, to advertise some travel stuff that they're doing for the Comrades Marathon. The Comrades Marathon is 56 miles, and every year they run at the opposite direction of the year before, and it is legend. The thing is probably the biggest running event in the world, and I found out lots about it by listening to a podcast about it. Um, Outside of the United States, um, it is probably the, the biggest race that you've ever heard of, so it's amazing. And... Let's see. Let's go ahead and let's do the beer mile. And while you're listening to the beer mile, hop over to a browser, go check out curdowney.com, and also go check out the Comrades Marathon, C-O-M-R-A-D-E-S, Comrades Marathon. And when you come back from listening to the beer mile, I'll read you some of the contents of the email that I got that'll give you a better picture of what's going on with Comrades. All right, here we go. Here's the, <laughs> the unofficial real starky uh kona beer mile which i think aj yeah aj definitely won it oh after well i'll tell you what happened after it was over okay let's go ahead and go you if you have a beer can pass there okay so um uh, just discard the beers on the grass so we can put them in the trash can right away um there's a barnana flag where the turn, where the left turn is going to be, okay? So look for that. There's going to be a branch, so you're going to have to duck under that branch to make the uh, about a 10-foot uh, run on the, the little lava rocks so you get back on the path. And then take a left and then continue the circuit. Penalty lap. If you, uh, if you puke or pass out, well, if you pass out, you pass out. I am going to here. Uh, don't worry, we have a Sharpie that we can write your phone number uh, just in case you forget that. Nick Van, uh, you, can tell, you can tell that story later. Um, but um, if you do puke, you have a fifth lap, okay? 
fifth lap. Okay. Yeah, so, do so we have to no. take the beers ourselves or somebody? No, we will not hand these out. This is okay. not professional triathlon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do we have to store the beer? Uh, yes. I will be providing uh, dry needling, though. For the start, everyone can start with a beer in hand. A really messy thing. Yeah, start with an open one. Yeah, start with an open one. Do you have to drink at the finish? I mean, before each lap. Where's the start line? Who's got the clock going here? Who's got the clock going? Who's got the clock going? Who's the timekeeper? Oh! Full arrow! Full arrow! Jesse Thomas, you decided to go full arrow today. Let's do this. make that decision? I just happened to have this in my bag and... I'm surprised you chose the aviators tonight. There's literally no sun. <laughs> I'm gonna. It's gonna be bad news going through the little tree. All right. Whoa! We got a. Well, I was stopping. Wait. And they are off, lap one. They are off on lap one. AJ Bonko is taking off in first place. Matt Hansen pulling away, taking a strong lead. About a five-yard lead for Matt Hansen. That's not Matt Hansen, that's Embry. Followed by Bonko. Followed by Jimmy Sear. Then comes the pack. Matt Hansen, second to last. Terrible announcing. A black cat, two black cats just ran out in front of the pack. I am not making that up, ladies and gentlemen. They're rounding turn three. Coming into turn four. Dave Emery in the lead. Jimmy Sear right on his hip. Followed by A.J. Bocco in third. Jesse Thomas in fourth. Matt Hansen, coming up from behind. Some guy named Mac in dead last with a Golu cat. And they are chugging. Chugging, chugging, chugging. Jimmy Sear, sipping. Who is chugging the fastest? My money's on A.J. Bobko. He's been training for this every day. He's fully tapered, and he's been boozing like no other. So that first lap, ladies and gentlemen, belonged to Dave Emery from Portland, Oregon, of Athlete Path. But it looked like A.J. Balco chugging his beer the fastest, taking off first on the second lap. A.J. Balco, I knew it. I knew he could chug faster than everyone. And A.J. Balco is uh, being trailed really closely by Nick Van Dam, who's in second place, U.S. Uh, West Point. Uh, Academy grad, so a military boy in second with Jimmy Sear and Nick Van Dam uh, running in a uh, high-cut speedo looks awful. Jimmy Sear coming up in third. They're about a legal distance if drafting were illegal. About 15 yards apart. The aviator Jesse Thomas looks like he's making a move in the backstretch. He's being trailed by Mac Brown from Bonk Breaker. And it looks like the Barnana and Chattanooga champion Matt Hansen's in about eighth place, but bringing it up on the run. Hansen cannot drink for shit, but he is absolutely a fast runner. Uh, Jesse Thomas running faster than everyone, without question. Running faster than everyone, without question. 
Callum Millward, talk to us about your thoughts so far. I'm just glad I haven't entered. <laughs> Why is this a decision? Would you like to insult any indigenous peoples while you're here? I'm going to take a rain check on that. <laughs> love your work, brother. I love your work. Okay, AJ is coming in uh, to uh, start his second round of chugging, his third round of chugging. Jimmy Sear about five yards back. Nick Van Dam. Jesse Thomas in fourth. It is time to chug again. Jesse taking up a couple of spots there, picking up a few spots. James Sear struggling to chug. Struggling to chug. Nick sipping his beer terribly. AJ suffering. A lot of pain, but he is definitely chugging faster than anyone else. No one chugs beer like AJ Balco. I've talked to him many times this week. I know how hard he's worked. The suffering, the training, the dedication, the tattoos. AJ Balco taking off. Oh, James Sear in third. Nick right on his wheel. These three men have definitely separated themselves. Big differentiation. They have a quarter lap lead at this point. Everyone else suffering. Jesse Thomas finishing his beer, starting with a slow jog. He's an amazing talent. What a pedigree for running from Stanford. What a beautiful man. I met him today for the first time. He is definitely more attractive in person. Tom Gerlach, what do you like at this point? AJ, looking great. I gotta like AJ. This is gonna be the highlight of his career right here. First pro win ever, possibly, for AJ. To me, he's a legend, uh, but ooh, Jimmy Sears coming up strong, representing Australia, a drinking culture, a culture that loves beer. Oh, I just heard Jesse Thomas grunt as he came by. Thomas, give me your thoughts at this point. Oh, man, this is an exciting race. I don't know who's going to win this race. He's going to come down. They're coming down. And, uh, oh, Jimmy Sear is making a move here on A.J. Baco. Jimmy Sear going for the pass. His uh, blonde, almost uh, white locks just uh, oh. blowing in the wind. Yes, unbelievable. James Sear, Lars, Finnegar, what do you think here? Who do you like? We've got a tough race. Well, the, the most consistent guy here is Jimmy Sear from Australia. He's got the hair factor. Look at that. But A.J. Balco's pulling up. Nick is the fastest, Nick Van Dam is the fastest runner out of the three, but he had a horrible beer drinking. Horrible life. chugging, horrible chugging. Now, I like Jesse Thomas is not out of this yet. The aviator, Jesse Thomas, is pulling himself back in the race. Lars, he's about 15 seconds behind us at this point. With his running pedigree, is it possible that AJ could continue and go for the pass? I'm worried that this is the ninth beer of AJ's day, so I've got to think that, you know, Jesse's on his fifth, fifth beer here. He polished one before the race. I'm going to go Jesse Thomas in a spring finish. AJ has finished his beer. Turned it empty atop his head. He has taken off. He is sprinting. He is sprinting. He is running away from this. He has a quarter lap lead. Here comes Nick. Here comes Nick. He's a quarter lap behind. Nobody's going to challenge AJ in this. AJ wants this bad. I have been with AJ this week. I know how hard he worked. No one has drank more than AJ Baco this week. AJ. AJ. You are a legend, baby. Legend. Legend. I should be uh, more unbiased, but I am rooting for AJ Baco. Nick. Nick Van Dam. Going for a podium spot. Can he catch AJ? Jesse Thomas in third. Now I Jimmy Sear in fourth. Jimmy must have had a horrible chug. A horrible chug. I will say that AJ Baco did have rice before coming in this beer mile. Rice could be the Unbelievable. Matt Hansen has just made the pass. And Jimmy Sear, what a runner. Unbelievable. Look, at Matt Hansen is going to bridge back about eight seconds and catch Jesse. I think he can catch Jesse Thomas. He is moving faster than Jesse. Matt Hansen, champion of Ironman Chattanooga, is sprinting, trying to catch uh, Jesse Thomas and make the podium. I believe he's going to make the pass. A.J. Balco, first place. A.J. Balco, first place. Nick Van Dam, second place. Jesse Thomas, can he hold off Matt Hansen for third to finish on the podium?
And he does. He does. Unbelievable. Matt Hansen in fourth. What a finish. James Sear started so strong, so strong, but faded with that last chug. A valiant effort nonetheless. Lars, what are your thoughts? Well, the biggest surprise is the fact that Dave Emery, who who is the fastest after the first lap, is bringing up the rear here. So that's a bit of a shame. He must be terribly disappointed. I think this absolutely confirmed what your pre-race predictions was with A.J. Balco. But uh, second was a total unknown, the West Point uh, Academy grad, uh, Nick Van Dam, who served multiple tours. It goes to show Nick what the troops are really doing out there in Afghanistan. Absolutely. I met uh, Nick Van Dam at the Endurance Conspiracy Tent when I first got to town. He was uh, working alongside Tony DeBoom, and tremendous guy. I couldn't have been happier for him. Here's come some uh, final finishers. Dark Mark. And ladies and gentlemen, one thing we haven't publicized, Dark Mark is actually running this event in his wetsuit, in our wetsuit division. He will finish first in the wetsuit division. Embry, well done, well done. Everybody, just like at Iron Man, we will cheer on the last finisher. Everybody comes back for the last finisher, which is Dark Mark in the wetsuit division. Everybody, remember, first place is best, last place is second best. Yeah. Here he comes. He can do it. Dark Mark. Everyone celebrate Dark Mark coming in last here in the wetsuit division. Dark Mark. What a champion. He's wearing a full wetsuit. It is uh, 90 degrees out. Dark Mark, I'm in a real luxury. Dark Mark, how are you feeling at this moment? Oh, pretty. Pretty good. good. <laughs> Unbelievable. Ladies and gentlemen, AJ Baco is uh, vomiting. AJ is uh, vomiting. AJ, AJ, talk to me about uh, the race. How did you feel out there? Oh fuck. Oh good. AJ, what was your nutrition plan during the race? Rice. I had a fuck ton of rice before we started, but I just threw it all up. I couldn't be happy for you, AJ. No one worked harder. No one drank more than you this week. That's very true. I've been drinking a lot this week. You are a legend. I think that this surpasses even what Ray Battelle did at Lake Placid. You are the new legend of triathlon. AJ Baco, everyone. The feeling that you have right there when you start your first like 20 meters of the lap is just the worst feeling ever. There is no greater motivation to qualify for Kona next year, so I have an excuse not to do this race. <laughs> Matt Hansen, unbelievable. Jimmy Sear, you were right in until the very end. What happened? Oh, mate, that last bit killed me. It was, uh, I was too much foam in my gut and I was struggling to get more in. So it was a painful last lap, but it was good fun. You were just crushing the first three laps. It was excellent. So exciting. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome. I'll catch you over here. Yeah.
So AJ won it. And if the last time I checked AJ's uh, Twitter profile, it <laughs> that's the very first thing that he lists off. He's the Kona Beer Mile champion. Over all the other races that he's won or podiumed at... <laughs> That's what he's most proud of. It's really funny. And AJ's actually, if you follow him on Twitter, uh, he's driving across the country and his car's falling apart and he's having to duct tape the bumper to his Scion. And uh, he's bitching and moaning about his car. It's pretty funny. And it's not funny for him, though. But still, um, it's pretty interesting. So let me read you the email from uh, curddowney.com. And big thanks to at the real Starkey for uh, sending me the audio. And uh, yeah, go check out the video. It's cool. All right. From Reed Barber. It says, Brett, longtime listener here. Uh, you do just an awesome job on the show. Been good company for many long runs. So I'd like to talk about getting an ad on the show. And it says, I've been in the travel business for about a decade now. And I've got an amazing itinerary themed around the Comrades Ultra in South Africa. Literally the best accommodations on earth. Meals and visits with some of the greatest South African athletes. And man, they do have some amazing people. Um, And once in a lifetime excursions. Helicopters, shark cages, wine tastings, wildlife, everything you can think of. Private meetings with Ryan Sandys. Bruce Fordyce, Tim Noakes, and Louis Liedenberg. And I went to their website, again, uh, kerdowney.com, K-E-R-D-O-W-N-E-Y, and I was like, holy crap, this is so beautiful. If you if you cruise around the website and then find um, tours and then South Africa, it's just, the pictures are just amazing. And Shark cages. You got my attention at shark cages. And they have stuff on there. It's a different part of Africa, but about gorillas and things like that. But anyway, um, I don't think there's gorillas in South Africa. And the um, he says, um, the experiences are amazing. It is an incredible and exciting itinerary to talk about. Um, it's It's... The price matches the itinerary, and if you just were listening to what I listed off, I mean, it, you can imagine. <laughs> and it's, but it's amazing, and it is possible we could customize an itinerary for folks looking to do something within a tighter budget. So that's cool too. Um, registration for comrades is over November thirtieth, so I'm trying to get the word out before then. What can we do? Well, I just. I sent him an email back and said, I'm going to read this off anyway, no matter what we work out, because um, the world is a small place, and the more you travel, the um, the more knowledgeable you become and the better life you have, in, in my opinion, um, because it, it's, it balances you out and it smooths out your opinion. The more exposure you have to different cultures and different worlds, um, the better uh, and more well-adjusted you are to what's going on when you move back to your own neck of the woods. And um, it's kind of like, I've seen some stuff. (laughs) I've seen people and things that would blow your mind. And um, it makes living in this world just so much uh, a more cool and fun experience to think of the amazing things that are are out there. And um, yeah, so I definitely wanted to mention it. Uh, Travel when you can. And do what you can to get out there and see the world. It's definitely really cool. And again, I don't even know if you you know even want to do the Comrades Marathon um, 
56 miles is a long ways, but you can definitely go to spectate. It's, it's massive. It is incredible. So, um, maybe you could go do a, a Kerr Downey trip, Kerr and Downey trip, um, you know, and just go spectate the Comrades Marathon or go with a family or family member or a friend or something. It's really cool. All right. So again, kerrdowney.com, go check them out. And thank you, Reed, for sending me an email. And uh, thank you again at uh, The Real Starkey for pointing out the audio to me of the Kona Beer Mile. And I'm glad we're able to tie something together here and get it in the podcast. All right. I got to get this show out. I got to go. Let's go back to the Kona News where we were finishing it up. All right. Here we go. And then, let's see. The next big race is Challenge Bahrain. And I don't have any internet up in front of me right now. So I'm not sure of the date. It's like 50 something days away 40 something days away and um it's a half ironman length race and first place is a hundred thousand dollars for both female and or male which is really cool (laughs) um the possibility went a hundred thousand dollars so i've seen i'm seeing people get really excited about this race for a half ironman so that's what everybody's training for next okay Let's mention a sponsor or two before we get into the um, emails. Um, Compete Hub. I was just on it this morning looking at the Austin race. And you want to check them out. CompeteHub.com. It's kind of like a Facebook, the Facebook of triathlon. It's really, really neat. You find all kinds of people that are doing races. You can see race courses. Um, There's lots of stats on previous races. And you can arrange meetups, all kinds of cool stuff. There's uh, a lot of races have hill profiles, previous race weather, and it just goes on and on and on. And, um, oh, man, it makes active.com look like the labyrinth, you know, with a, with a minotaur buried down in it trying to kill you. <laughs> it's like, Compete Hub, Hub is so nice. You just kind of cruise around. It's very zen. It's just like, ah, there you go. I go over here, and then I find this race. Oh, look at this race over here. This is so pleasant. Oh, I can sign up? Nice. Okay, so check out CompeteHub.com. And let's see, you got another one. Hornet Juice. Hornet Juice, man, I had some of it yesterday afternoon when I was doing a swim. And it's kind of like your, it's almost like a recovery drink built right into your, um, right into your fuel. And it's only 60 calories. And it's amino acid, so it's essentially protein that you pop in there. And one packet lasts an hour and a half. And it helps your body metabolize body fat. It sends a signal to your body, hey, we need to tap into your fat, your fat, your fat, your fat cells and help power this guy or this girl doing this killer workout. And it works. It is so cool. And the craziest thing is it comes from Japanese killer hornet saliva that scientists sat down in a lab and figured out that this stuff is what metabolizes the body fat in these crazy bugs in Japan that allows them to be the most powerful, longest flying endurance critters that, uh, we say that in Texas, that anybody's found so far. And these, how do they do it? They metabolize body fat with amino acids, uh, with these specific amino acids. So they synthesize it and turn it into powder, put it in a packet, and it comes to you. 
And hornet juice is rad, man. It is so cool. There's a hornet on the outside of it, and it comes from New Zealand. And when you order it, you actually get an email from me where I say, hey, thanks for ordering hornet juice because it helps out the podcast. It helps out Zentry. You get something awesome. I get something awesome. Uh, I get like, I don't know, like a buck or two. or It kind of depends on how much you order um, off the top of, of, of an order. And um, because I help fill the order, then I get to send you an email. So you get an email from me. You get to tell me uh, what's going on with you, which we'll get into here in the emails and donations. And uh, tell me about what's going on in your life. And it makes for good show content, too. So all around, it's awesome. So go check it out. Hornet Juice is on the, it's on the right side of Zentrathlon.com. Uh, scroll down and click on the logo, and it'll take you to an order page. You can get like four packets or ten packets. And again, one packet lasts an hour and a half, so it's actually uh, not a bad buy. And it's, uh, yeah, there's 20 packets, 30 packets. I mean, it's crazy, like, how much of the stuff you can order. And, um, yeah, it really, really helps out. So you try it in training, and my, my return orders, when people come back and order more, is just off the charts. It's really cool. Okay. Let's see. Let's go on to the emails and donations. Okay, Scott Robinson sent an email, and he wanted to say... Oh, he did a donation to the show, a flat-out donation, which is on PayPal on the left side, which is another cool way to help out the show. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, Hi, Brett. I wanted to put in my part to help the show and let you know that you really helped me through my training this year. I work with a coach, but I've also been using your tips about training by feel to help me through and you guys are getting a ton of that in the training log this episode this is going to blow your mind how good this stuff is okay um i have also started using hornet juice (laughs) there you go and huma gels which you recommended good stuff and both worked great for me i ended up laying down a pr and a half iron in july in five hours and nine minutes that's fast man and racing my first ironman in wisconsin and finishing 1148 hey that's good the hornet juice really helped exclamation point Oh, by the way, if you send me an email and it's got an exclamation point in it, I always say exclamation point. Uh, Also, hearing you include Kai in your workouts is great. I ran with my three-year-old daughter, Layla, at the Iron Kids race the day before Wisconsin. She loved it! Exclamation point. Hearing Mike Riley call her an Iron Kid gave me chills. Anyway, thanks for all the help along the way and keep it up. Exclamation point from scott r thanks scott that was a really nice email to read okay um we got a donation from vince hancock from per tornholt <laughs> i should dub in tawny saying your saying your name that was the funniest on her show when she did that uh jill bendor uh schuler let's see schuler has an email life is good in tempe Gearing up for my first competitive race since graduating from college in 2010 this weekend. A 24K trail race. Seemed like a good way to stay motivated on the push to my first ever marathon in January. Yeah. We'll see. So we'll see how it progresses. I'm sure my old cross-country slash track ego will emerge when the gun goes off. Yes, it will. (laughs) Hey, that helps you in training, though. And for the end of the race, at least. If for no other reason than survival. Otherwise, I'll accept the 80 and 90 degree, 90 degree days still better than what I've been dealing with in the Northeast the past eight years. Ugh. But probably not as sweet as Texas. Eh, Texas is a bit brutal, man. 
Oh man, it's a it's something else here. Um, after having been out of regular fitness for the last four years, that's not that long. You'll be all right. Uh, getting back into training led to exploring podcasts. Hence, how I stumbled upon two interviews. Uh, thanks for putting out such quality and bringing your passion to every episode. Hey, no problem. I look forward to your continued insights and eventually hopping into triathlon again to quote unquote legitimize <laughs> my fandom. Hey, you're worthy of, a, of, of being a fan of the show. No worries. Uh, keep up the great work and I look forward to catching up soon. Best, Schuler. All right, John Taylor sent in a donation. Elizabeth Davis. Now, Tyler Moyer. Oh, I clicked on something and ended up ruining it. Where's Tyler? Where you go? How'd I mess that up? Okay, I found one way to stay motivated and improve my bike split. This is Tyler talking. I'll be competing, completing the Knights of Suffer Landria Challenge on December 20th. Oh, Suffer. Suffer Fast. Um, they're an on-off sponsor of this podcast. Go check them out. And uh, it's training, uh, training videos. Um, I'm raising money for the American Lung Association, Association in memory of my grandfather. If you could share the link with your listeners, I would really appreciate it. Okay, everybody check this out. Um, it's GoFundMe.com, like uh, uh, fund as in get money. GoFundMe.com slash, <laughs> this is good, shut up legs, COPD. And COPD is in all caps, but I don't think that really matters. Uh, GoFundMe.com slash shut up legs, COPD. Go visit Tyler Moyer and help him raise some funds uh, for American Lung Association. That's cool. All right. Uh, we got more donations from Brett Hoyer, Ken Soderquist, John Burns, Jamie Gertov. I know I'm not saying that right. Joseph Rogalski and Melissa J. Boudot. And actually, I can't get to them right now, but I've gotten a couple other emails recently that have some really good stories in them. And we'll have those on the uh, next show. And yeah, um, you can help support the show by um, donating on the left side. It's in triathlon.com. I think, I think I mentioned it again at the end of the training log. But anyway, if you find, um, if you find that anything in the show really changed your training and gave you some, some uh, good advice and some good tips that you're able to use or share with a friend and you're finding value in this podcast, consider going over to the left side of zentrathlon.com and with your finger and your mouse tapping on the screen there on the icon that's donate by PayPal and setting up either a one-time or recurring donation and send me a note too and I'll read it on the show and that is what makes this show happen is the Hornet Juice and the PayPal donations and uh, that helps pay for everything and I think at the end of the show yeah I talk about it more <laughs> Emily lets me keep podcasting because people donate and uh, that helps pay for the triathlon habit like today I took my bike in to get it last work on it uh, before the race chain is stretched out badly and let's see um what else there's a grinding sound in the headset and um the rear brake cable is non-functional the the housing must be have gunk in it or something like that so um estimate is 90 bucks to get all this fixed and that's on top of spending 
you know, nearly a hundred on new tires uh, just a couple of weeks ago and tubes and like all kinds of stuff, uh, maybe 150. So this triathlon stuff ain't cheap. So if, uh, if uh, you can't help do it and it's really cool and I really, really appreciate it from the bottom of my heart. Okay. Now uh, we're going to get into the training log. Well, maybe we should mention another sponsor before we get, uh, oh, Amrita bars. So, um, I snack on Amrita bars all the time, and it is awesome, healthy, clean nutrition. Um, they also make the coolest kit in the biz, and you can check them out more at amritahealthfoods.com. And if you end up buying Amrita bars, uh, you can use uh, discount code ZEN, all capital letters Z-E-N, and get 15% off, which is a ton of money off, and order these things in bulk, and then you have them in your pantry, and then... Uh, uh, your kid goes, I want a milkshake. And you're like, eat an Amrito bar. It's good for you. And they go, I don't want to. And then you go, no, you eat it. And you unwrap it for them. And then you put it in their mouth. And then they go, oh, that's not that bad. <laughs> but watch out. They'll eat the chocolate ones like crazy. <laughs> all right. So that's Amrito bars. Okay. I think we got it all covered now. And yeah. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about the training log. Okay. Um, like I said, Earlier, I've, over the past, I don't know, three, four, five months, I've been focusing on improving my bike, and it's worked. It's worked really, really well, and I, I tried something um, a little bit different, and I really paid attention the whole time I was doing it so I could talk about it on the show. I've been kind of holding back on describing it entirely because I wanted to make sure and holy crap, not only am I sure, but I'm beyond sure that this is an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, and let me describe for uh, an example. I say in the training log that I used to go out for rides and used to be happy with uh, 220 watts for a long ride. My, um, and that's a lot, you know, but I'm a big guy, so um, it's not bad. Right, but I'm like, man, the guys that are really, really fast are putting out a lot more than that. Um, let's work on this. And I used uh, specific I, in the in the training log. I detail um, training methods, recovery methods, scheduling methods, all kinds of stuff to bring up the power on the bike, and then going out and field testing it to see the results. And in the training log, I mentioned that my average is up from 220 to up like to 240, um, which is uh, nearly a 10% increase, more like eight or 9% increase, but that's a lot. And then, um, and sometimes 245. Um, but that was as of the last recording of the training law. I can tell you that I went for a bike ride um, uh, yesterday, no, not yesterday, two days ago, and my average watts was 260 now for a long bike ride. And that has a lot to do with Angela's nutrition tips that she gave earlier in the show as well. And that is a huge, huge jump and makes all the difference between, I was, I was uh, pedaling up hills and then I'm like, where'd that hill go? Right? You know that, that um, you know that you've made a, signif a, a significant improvement that's gonna make a difference when you're surprised by things that you didn't even think would be surprising, you know? Because a lot of things you're looking for, you're like, oh, when I'm faster, I'll notice this. Well, when something, when other things start happening that you weren't even looking for, 
um, that's a real indicator that things have changed because you weren't even looking for these things. So I've got a, a couple of um, hills that are some pretty hard work on this one bike route that I ride. And I remember going up, oh, here comes that hill. And then a, a little while later going, hey, that where'd that hill go that I was supposed to be going up? And it was like, holy crap. I just demolished it and barely noticed it. And that's a real sign of, of a big change. And then also finishing rides and instead of being exhausted, being bouncing off the walls with uh, energy and then immediately going outside and throwing the football with Kai or going to one of his soccer games, um, just doing all kinds of fun stuff. So um, really, really cool stuff. So I want you to pay attention to the training log. Um, I also want to just put in a disclaimer in here. Uh, I'm not saying this is the fix for everybody. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a genius and I got it all figured out because that is hilarious to think that you've got it all figured out. Uh, things change and what different people need to improve is different for a lot of different people. I wouldn't say for every person. There's like categories of things that you need. And I do come from a background of, of uh, lots and lots of Ironman training. So aerobically, I'm really, really fit. And for some people, you may want to just get an easy volume first and kind of build up your stuff. And then think about doing a lot of what I'm about to talk about in the training log has to do with intervals and, and stuff like that. Um, um, what uh, I also want to preface it by saying, yeah, if I sound if I sound in this like I'm, you know, uh, full of myself and cocky, and this is I'm awesome and stuff like that. No, I'm just really excited because I've been working <laughs> on trying to find a a way to improve that that feels good and allows me to eat um, healthy and lots of food and um, and also mix in strength and and volume and and scheduling fitness scheduling with with time and uh, uh, hormonally feels great and all kinds of cool stuff and um, what I'm doing as of uh, in the training log really seems to work really, really well. So no, I do not think I'm awesome. What I think is that I'm really, really happy as of right now. You know, I, I could bike around a corner and, and uh, f uh, pull, my, pull a hamstring and, or uh, I could trip in a pothole and smash my face and, and lose all my teeth tomorrow and be a miserable mess. But I'll take it for now that <laughs> this is really working out really well. And yeah, in a race, you know, I may totally screw it up and uh, not execute correctly. But racing is just a uh, reflection of fitness. Really, it's your workouts and such and getting healthy that is uh, your, your big concern. Oh, and by the way, I had a, a blood panel done for, um, for work and I posted it online, a picture of it. And um, they, they did blood and... Um, and blood pressure and things like that. And uh, let's see. So in blood, they do uh, blood sugar and fat analysis. And all of my numbers were absolutely stellar. And that's more important than any half Ironman or Ironman is the fact that I'm super, super healthy as of right now. <laughs> and that's a reflection of um, that what I've been doing over the past few months is uh, nice. It's good for the body. And... And yeah, so 
Okay, no more explanations. Let's sit down and enjoy this training log as I try to explain it. Oh, and by the way, this is an evolving um, picture. So I um, am happy to explain more uh, with people um, over time as I make better sense of what I'm doing and also to help you. And like, if you want to do this kind of thing, let me know. And I'm a coach and I can help you too. All right. All right. Let's get started with the training log. Here we go. You are entering the Zentrite training log zone. Hunelli. Hi everybody, my name is Brett. I'm a triathlete. I decided it's time I got some friends more suited to my status. But Joe, we've been friends for years. Hey, we all make mistakes. Come on, dudes, let's go exercise. Exercise! Yeah! I'm gonna do sit-ups till I poop myself. All right. I'm at the training farm. Oh, training log, start date. <laughs> I don't know the date. It's whatever day Kona is. Oh. Walking through the gate at the training farm. The big cattle farm that Emily's family owns. What's up, Shadow? Shadow was barking at me because he didn't know who I was. What's up, Kai? Y'all throwing the football? Yeah. What about the cow patties? You worried about getting poop? Well, kick it until it all comes off and then rinse it off. It's now, that is now a foot, a soccer ball. Maybe that's how soccer got started. Oh my God, dude, you almost hit the power lines. <sighs> all right. Oh, Emily's coming. So I came up to the training farm. Shadow, it's up my butt. What? Oh. So the Aggies are playing Ole Miss? Is that who we're playing? And it's now 6 o'clock at night. And I went running all along the countryside. I got chased by dogs. It's cool. Emily's talking. Emily, I, I just discovered that soccer soccer was invented when people were playing football in the field, and then it got cow poop on it. It's got cow poop on it. So then they started kicking it. Shadow, Shadow, how are you doing? I can't figure out any results for Kona. Let me get off this thing, and I'll tell you. It's over, right? The winners are done. No. All right, welcome back to the training log. We are away from the training farm and back in College Station, Texas. And um, I had a request that I want to I want to complete, fulfill that um, how I got so much more faster and powerful on the bike. Um, and then what I'm going to do is contrast it to this weekend that just happened, the Kona weekend, while. I was training in Tyler, Texas, not Tyler, Perk, Texas, out in the middle of nowhere, and show you the difference of what to do and what not to do. This is part of the podcast where I tell you all kinds of cool stuff that really works, and then hopefully um, everybody can benefit. So, all right, um, I started off by. Um, looking at that I was training a ton 
and I only had so much time to train. So I'm training, uh, the, the most it seems like I can really train and be a dad and work a job is about 15, 16 hours a week, right? And if I'm crazy, I can get up to 20, 22, but everything else has to kind of fall apart, which is normal, right? You have those epic weeks where you can do that kind of stuff. But anyway, um, I got really, really fit. My resting heart rate is in the 40s, and um, I can't get my heart rate up too high um, working out. So basically, my endurance, my aerobic endurance is fine. I got tons of that, and, um, and it seems like I can go forever, but not at a very fast pace. And we're about to get into a school zone, so I'm going to turn this off. Hold on. I'm back I think there we go and the um, so I've you've, this is me you doesn't matter um, I've, I you've maxed out on time to train you could always find a little bit more time and I'm you know I got you know 15 16 hours is a lot so it's nothing to sneeze at it's definitely good for half Iron Man uh, once you start getting Iron Man you start needing to get up to like 15 18 20 to uh be pretty fast and have a good day and um i was you, you hear all this uh minimalist training stuff where they do you know lots of hard uh and not much else and it's very confusing because it's a lot of heavily marketed stuff and it's uh you know buy my book kind of thing and it's not you, and it's it's a little counterintuitive to everything that's going on in the sport and or how people have historically trained for it because our typical role models are pros, and they've got 30 hours a week to train, so of course they're going to get really good. You know? And um, then also there's um, other... Uh, there's a few other people that have had some really good success that are age groupers, and they started showing, um, you know, training lower hours per week and uh, and uh, performing really well. The thing is, is they were already fast, right? So when somebody does a sub-10-hour Ironman and then starts training differently and still does a sub-10-hour Ironman, there's something going on there, and I'll, I'll explain what that is. And then I started noticing that there's a phenomenon, phenomenon <laughs> of phenomena. There's a phenomenon of, there's a cyclist, go. Oh, we just had a cold front come through. So it's chilly here for Texas. You know, it's like 60. And the, um, of people that were, that are former fast at a single sport, this is really important. People that are fast from a single sport have no trouble whatsoever um, converting that with just a few months of, of figuring out the pacing. They are um, great at that on another sport. Uh, in triathlon, that part of that part of triathlon. So let me give you an example. Magnus Backstead, right? So he's like uh, um, a former pro cyclist from the '90s. Probably uh, tons of doping back then. 
But anyway, this guy has won uh, a couple or more stages of the Tour de France. He's, um, what else has he done? Uh, he's won uh, Paris-Roubaix, which is a freaking hellish race. He's like really, really, really good. Well, he just got into triathlon. And of course, he's a, um, he's like winning the bike segments and all this other stuff. And, um, and it's because if you look at his power on the bike, it's a huge number naturally, well, not naturally, but from all the training, all the single sport training, right? And you look at Andy Potts, who is a former swimmer, right? And you look at any former swimmer and they destroy the swim without much effort, right? And you start asking yourself why. And you look at any former runner and their easy pace in a longer run, it is just decimates uh, a non-runner's easy pace, right? So the question is, uh, and you just go for example after example after example of how if you got your power and or speed, same thing, um, up to high performance levels um, for shorter distances, all you got to do is um, then work on getting um, that your pacing lengthened out and your nutrition lengthened out so that over 112 miles, let's say for an Ironman or let's say half Ironman, half marathon, marathon, um, 2.4 mile swim, uh, what is it, uh, 1.2 mile swim, that these, these, um, these distances don't really bother you and you're still still able to go really fast. And again, it's really, really obvious when you start to look at it that the fast people can generate big numbers, um, big, big numbers over short distances. So you can reverse engineer that. Oh, you look at the you look at the pros when they go do like a 10K or they do a bike race or they do yeah, a swim race. They destroy it, right, over short distances. And um, so let's go back to Magnus Backstead. He, um, what did he do? Uh, oh, wait, let me go back to him in just a second because I lost my train of thought on that. Sorry, traffic. And, um, and let me give you my own example where I was a high school swimmer and I was a sprint freestyler. And the um, I only need to swim three times a week for like 45 minutes to an hour each time and I can do an hour Ironman swim. No problem, right? And it's like, how, how am I doing that with such little uh, training nowadays? I quit doing that over 20 years ago, <laughs> right? Yet I'm still able and with a huge break in between. And I guarantee you, uh, my brother who has done it, hasn't done it 20, 25 years with a few months training could do the exact same thing, right? And um, and then you could do this with cyclists and you can do this with runners. And um, so the thing is, is how do you reverse engineer this so that you get stronger um, and faster on a device when you're an age group triathlete and you're training all by yourself, or maybe you got a coach, but you want to, you've, you've now come to the conclusion 
that more volume along with everything else actually isn't going to make you any faster, right? You've plateaued and you're just like, ugh. Okay. So the thing is, is when, if you come from a certain perspective, you, it all starts to make sense. And um, the thing is, is with my swimming background, because I was a dude and I went to military school and I was in high school and hanging out with guys all the time, um, I got into weightlifting, right? And uh, and turns out that was one of the reasons I was a good sprint freestyler is because I did weightlifting and got strong. But that's kind of a parallel tangent. Okay, so once once you've gotten the big picture... And you've said, okay, to be a better cyclist, I need to focus on cycling. To I need to focus on the bike, on the triathlon bike, and that's what I decided. Right to have a better to have a better bike and a better run, um, I should focus on the bike. Okay, then you start taking all this minimalist training and stuff, and fueling and nutrition, and and start. Uh, piecing it together to look at how to do this. Okay, I'm saying okay a lot. Now the the thing is with if I told you that I wanted you, I I'd give you a million dollars to be better at um, bench press, right? Then. You would look around for the, the best way to get better at bench press and to generate bigger numbers. And how would you do that? Well, the classic way that Jack LaLanne and these other weightlifters proved is resistance training. And you there's several pieces to this. You would go to the gym and you would do several sets of the weightlifting, so let's say bench press, and you would monitor the numbers, and the reason you do several sets is you could do one big set, but it's a little dangerous and you risk injury, so if you break it up into more sets, and a set is um, a series of repetitions, so we're going to really break this down. You um, You put the bar on the rack and you put weights on the bar, and you guesstimate this is the first few times. You guesstimate about how much weight you can lift about 8 to 12 times. Maybe up to 15. Just kind of depends. And you eyeball it. And then you get on the bench rack. And then you bench press. Um, and let's say it's 200 pounds. And you're like, okay, 200 pounds. Um, can do that uh, eight to 10 times. Let's say you do it 10 times and you're like, all right, that's nice. Right. Then what do you do? You get up Well, you sit for a second and you rest and you try to catch your breath. Right. Which is important. I want y'all to remember that. And then, um, you walk around the gym for a little bit. You're not doing bench press. (laughs) You walk around, you go get a drink of water and this is about three or four minutes, right? And then you shake your arms out, you shake your chest out, if you could. And then you go and sit back down on the bench press 
after you catch everything and you get rested all over again. You might have a sip of Gatorade or something like that. And you do it again, right? Now, um, how long did you do the first one, right? Well, if you timed it, about 8 to 12 reps would take about a minute. Maybe less, maybe more. Um, and then you you definitely go in uh, feeling uh, amped. They're playing cool music. And, you know, it's an environment that's like, wow, this is cool. We're going to have some fun. We're going to do this. And your buddies are there and all that stuff. This, is, this all plays into it, I swear. And then when you do your second set, you try to do 8 to 12 reps again, right? And why did you stop on the first set at 8 to 12 reps? Well, because it burned so much that you couldn't do anymore. And, and it took about a minute. And so you're going to do it again um, after your th- uh, three, four, five minutes rest. And you're going to you're going to eyeball it and go, you know, I could do a little bit more weight or a little bit less. So let's say you're like, you know what? That one took me 12 reps, um, which is a little bit more than a minute. So I'm going to back off. I'm going to um, add a little bit more weight. So you're now you're going to do 210. 210 pounds instead of just 200. And then uh, you sit down and you crank out another set. And you manage to get out 10 of them at 210 pounds. And you're like, all right, that's nice. And we'll be back in just a second because i got to go into work. W to the ERK, out, bang. All right, I'm back. I'm on my way to go eat. And, uh, okay, so let's pick it up. <clears throat> you would do... Somewhere between 8 and 12 reps. Now, that would take about a minute, right? And you would fatigue towards the end of those 8 to 12 reps. And you would pick a weight that would, on purpose, fatigue you by the end of about a minute of these uh, reps, repetitions. And you would call that a set. And then you would take a nice break, completely relax for you know, three to five, six minutes until you do it again, right? And if you're just getting into weightlifting, you might do it twice because then you're going to be really sore um, the next few days. If you've been doing it for a while, you would do, man, you could do three sets, four sets, five sets of this type of activity. And you would, uh, you'd be able to do lots of them. Um, but you could also tell when you're, you can tell when you're done with a set and you, because you just fatigue so much, you can barely lift the weight anymore. Your body naturally gives out. And then you can also tell when you're done doing sets in general that work out because you can't produce um, good results anymore. Um, you get on the bench press and, and uh, you're just tired now. You're you're sore and it hurts to do another set. So, um, and then what you do is you keep in the back of your mind if that if you do too much, it's going to take a long time, many, 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 many days um, to recover from what you're doing. And it turns out um, that you get your greatest improvements by uh, taking about doing enough work to where it takes a couple of days 
to recover from and then doing it again. And you do that consistently and you improve. Okay, so knowing that this is how weightlifting works, how this is how improvement works, this is how power works, this is how strength works, knowing this, this is exactly how I could, if somebody was going to pay me a million dollars to be able to, I, they say you can bench press um, 200 pounds right now, I'll give you a million dollars if you can bench press 300 pounds in a couple months, right? That's exactly how I would do it. That's how anybody would do it that knows what they're doing. They would just go to the gym every other day, every other day. So there's a rest day in between to recover from this. And they would do sets of repetitions with a break in between until they can't do anymore and then um, and then take a, a 48 hours rest and then do it again okay so you the, there's many 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 things to remember that's going on here to help you out one is that if you do anything else in between with that muscle, that muscle group, it needs to be very little. Um, you can do volume, but it can't be very much intensity. In fact, some a little bit of volume kind of helps. It kind of helps the muscle recover a little bit because it kind of stimulates blood flow, which helps move things around and keep you from getting too stiff and too uh, locked up. And <clears throat> another thing is... Um, After you, before, during, and after you are doing this heavy, intense work to improve your muscle strength, you need to eat um, food that is going to rebuild the muscle. It's going to fuel the muscle during your workout and rebuild the muscle um, after, faster. And I've tried this. Uh, with different things and what seems to really, really, really work well for recovery, and I mentioned it on previous shows, is ice cream. Um, because it's, you know, this whole chocolate milk thing. Well, they're not kidding. It does work. It works really, really well. And I like ice cream. <laughs> so, I, and you get it a flavor that you like and then you can eat that. And we'll cover more about that in a minute. But um, uh, feeding the muscle... Uh, stimulates growth, um, especially uh, during and for recovery immediately afterwards. And then um, when it gets down to nutrition, there's all this metabolic efficiency stuff and all that, um, which is complicated. But what I've found is that if you feed your muscles enough carbs during training and post-training then you will not crave carbs hardly at all when you're not training. And then now you're getting into... And so when you're not training, you can actually... And Angela and Nath talked about this. You can actually um, go seek out really healthy foods and make healthy choices because you're not having crazy carb uh, cravings. If you're having crazy carb cravings, CCCs, 
then there's a really good chance you're not fueling uh, enough with the right stuff um, during your uh, training. So how about that? That's pretty interesting. So a lot of you that are trying to eat healthy and train and find it difficult, um, you're not doing it right. You're um, not piling on enough carbs during and, uh, and after training. And it's frustrating because in the middle of the day, you start having crazy carb cravings. And um, you wouldn't have these oh, and, uh, if you did enough carbs during the workouts. And then now, you're, because you're not doing it right, you're having to go and eat um, carbs, uh, simple carbs in the middle of the day or in the, when you're not near, near working out instead of eating, um, making better choices and eating things like uh, veggies and stuff that, um, and protein and stuff, and stuff that's um, fiber and just lots of veggies really that you can't eat while working out anyway. Um, so this is now the time to eat it. Because you're not working out. So this is when you get it in. And um, it's really cool to be able to leverage your, your timing of your foods uh, this way. So, um, for example, uh, before your workout, uh, you eat something sweet. And then during your workout, 300 calories in an hour. three to 400 calories in an hour or something uh, simple carby, and then afterwards, a uh, small bowl of ice cream, and then um, a couple hours later, you're ready for a meal, and you can actually have like a chicken breast, which you'll start craving it, uh, a chicken breast, and um, uh, kale, a kale salad, and beans, and relish and like uh, stuff that that I'm trying to think uh, other carrots, you know, and things that um, are really nutritionally dense, but not workout food whatsoever. And because now you're getting in all this nutrition and um, you're not um, causing an insulin response that's causing your body to store fat, so now you're getting leaner because you're eating your carbs at the right time. Instead of trying to go low carb and not eating enough carbs in general at all, you're just eating them at the right time in a way that makes you stronger. And then next we're gonna talk about the intensity of the intervals and how that causes an effect that'll help you out a lot too. Okay, hold on, I gotta go eat. <laughs> all right, I'm back. Okay. Freebird burrito with lots of veggies and steak. And because my bike workout doing intervals this morning, I uh, ate lots of carbs um, before, during, and after. I am not craving carbs now, so I didn't have any rice. The only carby thing on it all was the tortilla to hold it together, and everything else was uh, super veggies. And I've noticed that um, in guacamole, um, that if that burrito had rice on it, like they usually put on it, that I get sleepy afterwards. I have an insulin reaction and I get sleepy afterwards. And without the rice, I don't get sleepy and I don't need the rice now because 
I ate enough carbs after my workout, during my workout. So it's all about timing. Okay, now the other thing that's really, it's not the other thing, there's a ton of things that really matter here. That doing weightlifting um, has been shown, proven over and over again, to release large amounts of testosterone. Now, what does testosterone do? It builds more muscle. And it's a mood elevator, and it makes you feel great and, um, and aggressive and risk-taking, and it really ups your mood. And the way to get it is to do um, high-intensity hard work uh, for short, brief periods of time. And apparently, the way to to deplete it and not get it, uh, not generate it, the opposite, is to um, do very easy, long, slow stuff, okay? Now, basically, on the bike, and you could do this on the run or you could do it swimming, doing hard intervals for about a minute and then until you almost fail, almost a failure, and then resting and recovering, and then doing it again, uh, resting and recovering for quite a few minutes. Um, it is very analogous, which means just like, to doing weightlifting in the gym. And when you do this, you build um, muscle just like you were building muscle in the gym just like your million dollars to uh, increase your bench press um, and this releases a large amount of testosterone which builds more muscle in the exact same spot it builds more muscle in general because it's a hormone that floods throughout your body and then it um, the other thing now high intensity work also burns more calories than low intensity work and it burns them um, throughout the day for like up to 48 hours afterwards because your muscles are trying to build and where is it going to get the particles <laughs> to make new muscle out of? Well, it, it, it has to absorb them from somewhere and that takes energy, right? Okay, so your metabolism is now fired up and uh, burning extra calories many hours later for two days while you're just sitting around doing nothing. Okay. And the other thing is, is you've um, increased your mood from the testosterone. And anybody knows this, that if don't go lift weights for a long time and then go lift weights and then watch how you feel for the few hours after you leave the gym. You are you feel like super strong and you can do anything and that uh, nothing can stop you because you just lifted all this weight. That's, that's chemistry going on. That's hormones in your brain um, telling you to feel a certain way. And it was created by doing high intensity, um, short bursts of work of, of lifting weights. So what you're trying to do is replicate that either on the bike or on the run or in the pool. Okay, 
So what I did was I started figuring out, um, you get on, and we're going to talk about the bike. You get on the bike and you warm up for 10, 20 minutes until you feel like um, you're ready to do an interval. And then you do an interval. And if you can, you have some kind of measurement device. You can do miles per hour, but on a bike with a power meter is nice because it does watts. And watts is kind of like weight. So you do an interval at 200 watts. And then, um, well, you can kind of eyeball it. And you're like, well, it looks like when I'm going really hard, I'm doing about 200 watts, right? Well, that's like pounds. And it takes about a minute. And you go hard enough so that you can only go about a minute. And then you and then you uh, bottom out. out. You're just like, Ugh, you know, got to take a break. And then you, the thing is, is you've got to undo all this training that's been going on in your mind about endurance sports that doesn't work anymore. And that's, that would be like, um, after you do a hard interval, um, to keep pedaling at a pretty good effort. No, you don't want to do that. (laughs) You got to do exactly what you would do in the gym. You would stop, right? You coast just barely for a little bit, catch your breath, and then gently, gently, gently pedal um, just a little bit so that, um, and, and then over the next few minutes, slowly increase your pedaling to get back up to feeling like doing another interval again. That's really critical right there. Complete stop. So if you were running, you would come to a walk, catch your breath, and then what you're doing all this period of time is you're letting all the um, you're letting the muscles um, get their oxygen back, their fuel back, everything, so that you can do another interval in a, in a little bit. Okay, so the other thing that's yet another thing that's really important is you'll find, like I was saying earlier, you can't do other sports stuff at any kind of moderate to high intensity um, in that 48 hours or else it will compromise your recovery um, between interval sets and between interval days. So like I said, let's say you do intervals on a Monday, then you plan on your schedule, you're going to do them again on a Wednesday and let's say it's the bike, you're doing bike intervals Wednesday, uh, Monday, Wednesday, Friday and the days in between, um, you really don't need to bike at all. And then uh, if you do run, um, you run really, really easy and just jog, right? And just don't worry about it um, because the problem is, is if you ran with any kind of intensity at all, you're going to uh, inhibit the recovery of your leg muscles to put out more um, to recover and do the workout again. Now, um, you can do swimming, right? Cause that's upper body and that's arms and you can do the exact, you can do swimming and, and running, uh, like this. You can do swimming and biking like this, but what you cannot do is biking and running like this at the same time. Um, you can't build both over the same, like say you want to take a couple of months, a few months and do this. Um, you have to pick one. You can always do swimming, but you have to pick one, um, either biking or running, um, not both. Okay. And then 
what happens next? Um, what you'll notice is with a little, a few times of doing this with some practice, and if you do everything that I said, you'll notice that you can actually, um, uh, if you're doing a bike with uh, miles per hour or watts in a very controlled environment, which is important when you do your three, four, five, six intervals of hard for about a minute with really easy rest in between and then you cut the workout short and don't go any further, you'll notice that um, when you come back two days later, your number's a little bit better. And that is everything right there. The whole point of doing this is you want to make your numbers a little bit better next time. Just a little bit. You want to show improvement next time. And then what you want to not do is anything that's going to um, compromise your your performance increase in those numbers. And you'll start to see that that means long bike rides with lots of hills. You could do like an easy bike ride, kind of long, but um, uh, and long runs and so you're talking shorter runs, easier runs. If you do a long run, you know, it's got nice walking mixed in and it's at a really, really lazy pace. And, um, and also you want to get plenty of sleep and you want to get uh, plenty of rebuilding f- fueling uh, before, during, and after these interval workouts. And you got to keep it in your mind that these are like weight training sessions and that the... Um, that everything else, everything else is designed to lead to rest and recovery to complement the work that you're doing on uh, your legs, your interval stuff. And then once you start doing it right, which takes a little, it can take a little bit of practice to do it right, you'll notice that your numbers get better and it'll be 200 watts on your intervals and then it's 210 and then it's 220 and then 230 and then 240 and 250, and it's exactly like going to the gym and seeing improvement on the weights on the gym. And then you're, then once you start seeing it happen, you become a believer. You're like, holy crap, because there really isn't any end to it. As long as you keep doing this, you'll keep getting stronger and, and bigger. And um, my example was during an interval when I first started out, I was doing uh, 300 watts on an interval and then um, saw quick growth and at first and then uh, but then slow growth after that but still going is uh, I went 300, 320, 360, um, 400, 420, 450, um, 470, 480, and this is up from 300, right? Now I'm up to 480, and then 500, and the other day I was doing intervals and I was peaking out at 551 watts on a minute-long interval. Um, just uh, you know, like, and, and I'm able to tell because I'm doing the heart, I'm doing the um, power meter with the um, with the uh, with the number readout and then also a graph afterwards on the Sunto Ambit 3. And I'm like, oh my God, this is totally working. But it's two days rest, one day rest, sometimes two days rest. It can kind of depend. And you get a feel for it. 
and then lots of recovery in between and, and letting everything in your life revolve around um, rest and recovery so that you can do these interval sessions again. Okay, so when I come back, I got to go do something. We're going to talk about um, the value of doing it on the machine. Why would you do this on the bike and on the run, like running up a hill, instead of just the weight room itself? And then also, oh, there was something else. I'll remember it when I come back. All right, hold on. All right, I'm back. Okay. Gosh, between my breaks, I keep thinking of all this stuff to tell y'all. This is really critical stuff here. Um, let me, um, to keep y'all hooked to listening so that you see the end goal here, let me go ahead and tell you what the end result is, and then I'll tell you more about the uh, cadence and the why to work out this way instead of another way. Okay. Um, so I'm, in, I'm increasing my watts so that when I'm doing intervals to uh, higher numbers, right? Just like lifting weights. Instead of 200 pounds, get up to 220. I'm like, it's like I'm benching 220, 240, 260, and up to 400 and something uh, pounds, right? 450 pounds. Okay, now the whole point is um, I go out on the road. After doing this for a while, for uh, a few weeks, I go out onto the road and I'm riding along on my bike and I have this sensation of like, Okay, when I'm just pedaling along, because you got your whole environment around you, and it's your perception's all off because of the you're now out in the real world, you know, like pedaling along, and it's like, um, but over the years of training, I know that I'm I'm done warming up whenever I feel a certain way, you know, I feel good, and my heart rate's you know up to a reasonable number, and then. Um, and my watts are up to a reasonable number, right? So I'm just pedaling along, and I'm like, doobie-doobie-doo, uh, oh, you know what, it's been, I've been out here for a little bit, you know, it's been like 10, 15 minutes, my heart rate feels good, I feel energized, I feel like I'm ready to go, um, and I look down at my bike computer, and it says, um, you know, 125, 130 beats per minute, and I'm like, okay, that's nice for me, that's good, and then, uh, ready to go and it's been I look at the clock and it's like it's been uh, um, you know 15 minutes and I'm like yeah that's about right that's a nice little warm up you know and then I look at the watts of what feels just you know pedaling along easy but warmed up and ready to go because until then you're you know who knows anyway um, I'm used to looking down and it's saying 190 you know maybe 200 watts uh, is happy, legs are happy, ready to go. No, it says 240. <laughs> I'm like, what? Holy crap. And what's happening there is, that's a 40 watt jump. And what's happening there is um, the stronger you get, um, your easy is is a percentage of your of your ability, right? Um, I got take walk with me for a minute. I got to walk. I got a chore to do out of, outside of the car. So the stronger you get, the um, the everything's a percentage. So 
Um, in our in an Ironman race, you should bike at seventy percent. Let's just say, depends on the person. But let's say in an Ironman race, you should bike at seventy percent of your max. Right? It's all based on percentages. So, um, if you raise your max, you raise your easy uh, watts with it, just right in line with it. So. Um, if if your max has now gone up <laughs> uh, from 300 and something to 500 and something, well, then your easy watts, your easy ability, and uh, it goes up from 200 watts to 240, right? And that is a huge difference because your body weight stayed the same, um, your perceived effort has stayed the same, and um, a really good... Uh, explanation of why this is so great would be running. So let's say instead of doing bike intervals that you were doing slight incline hill intervals, right, and making your legs stronger, and you were getting better and better at the top speed you could sustain. So you get up to um, where you're doing uh, when you first start doing out uh, sprint intervals for a minute, you, you're able to do, um, let's say, a seven and a half minute mile, right? For about a minute, you average about a, you peak out at about a seven and a half minute mile running along. And then over time, with training, and by training the way I was saying, doing intervals, with lots of rest in between. Over a few weeks to months, you get your top interval speed, which is your potential, your threshold, up to uh, six minute miles or five and a half minute mile pace is what I'm saying. Well then now, your easy is going to be um, much, much faster, right? Your easy will now be uh, it used to be your easy was a 10-minute mile because your fastest was an 8-minute mile, right? So then um, if you bring your fastest down to a 6-minute mile, now your easy is going to be, uh, let's say, an 8.5 or 8.30, right? 8.30-minute mile. Let's say 8.30. It's nice. Okay. Well, now think about this. Imagine the difference in what you can do in longer races if your easy run pace is an eight and a half minute mile pace instead of a 10 minute mile pace, right? You go farther, faster before you get tired because the perceived effort is still the same, right? You just, to run a marathon, you got to kind of run like kind of medium, you know? But now your medium is like an eight minute mile. <laughs> right, your easy is an 8.30, your medium is an 8. It's pretty cool, huh? <sighs> okay. So, now that you get what happens in the end, you go out for a long bike ride, and now your easy is... Um, let's do miles per hour instead of watts. Now your easy is uh, 20 miles an hour instead of 17 right? Wow. 
big freaking difference, right? So, <clears throat> and that's, that's what you need for races. You need to be able to go faster at an easy effort. Um, and again, that's what you're doing is you're increasing your top end. You're focusing on increasing your top end so that your easy is uh, faster. Because it's a higher, it's the same percentage, but it's the same percentage of a, of a faster number. Okay, so why would you do this? Um, you're saying, Brett, that, you know, it's intervals and work, um, like weightlifting. Why, what's the benefit? Why aren't you doing this in the gym itself? Why aren't you just doing weightlifting for these muscles? And you can, but why you don't, why it's not necessary so much. I'll explain to you in just a moment. Hold on. I got to rack a bike. Okay, sorry. I'm having to steal my son's bike from the bike rack at school so he has it for cyclocross practice uh, later on. <laughs> the life of a dad, of a biker kid. Whoa. And anyway, trying to get around traffic. Okay, so back again. Um, so if weightlifting works so well, why to increase strength and power and then power is so important, then why aren't you doing this just in the gym, right? Okay, for two reasons. In the gym, you, um, like, why aren't you doing this on weight machines? It works kind of in the gym. And that means that you can single out those muscle groups and make them stronger uh, you can single out kind of like single muscles and a little bit of muscle groups and make them stronger for sure. But there's a problem in that you're not in the exact same body position as you are in the, uh, as when you're on the bike or on the run or in the pool. And uh, not being in the exact same position doesn't mean you, it means you don't fire those muscles exactly um, like you would in the real world when you're riding and racing. And um, so then it's only like 80% effective or something like that. And you can tell the difference, like um, go ride a road bike and then try to, and you can get great on a road bike, but then when you get on a triathlon bike, you're using kind of like a different part of your quads and a different part of your hamstrings. And you're using the muscles a little bit differently. So all that work you did in the gym, all that time in the gym, um, doesn't translate directly into power and injury prevention and, and such on the device that or on foot that you're actually going to be doing in the race. Okay. And then the other thing is that when you're doing the intervals on the run or um, on the bike or in the pool, you get to practice something that you can't practice in the gym, and that's cadence. So the missing piece that most people are missing and something that improved dramatically when I'm walking into my house, when I started doing... Intervals like weightlifting on the bike, um, on a trainer, and on the uh, come on. 
I need to find Kai's helmet. Hello. Hello, household. Where's your helmet? You will die without a helmet. You won't ride without a helmet. I won't let you. Not cyclocross practice. Wandering, wandering, wandering. Um, if you were to do like bench press to, uh, with enough weight to improve your chest strength, there's a helmet. There's the beautiful boy's helmet. There it is. Okay. Then you would... Um, you wouldn't be able to do it at a very high cadence, you know, like you're doing squat rack or something like that. You can't do it at a very high cadence. Um, nothing approaching what you can actually do on the device, okay? And then you'll find out that while you're doing it on the device, the device being the bike, that not only can you um, match the cadence, and now you're practicing the neuromuscular firing that's in the right order, it's the coordination, of doing it, which is a lot of swimming, actually, and it's a lot of everything. It's a lot of biking and a lot of running, too. It's being smooth. Um, you actually get to practice over speed, right? And driving your heart rate up really high, which is good stuff. Well, what happens is, is if you go over speed, um, then when you then when you slow down the normal cadence. Um, your new normal is now higher. So for example, when I first started doing this, I was like, you know, like 90 something RPM on the bike uh, while doing a hard interval was uh, pretty fast, you know, I was like, whoa. And then out on the road, um, mid 80s, low 80s, felt like a normal cadence, right? And the faster your cadence is, the better off you are because it feels, the faster your natural cadence is, because it feels normal, it feels easy to you, but if the higher, the higher it is, even though, let's say yours is you and Bill, and um, yours is naturally higher than Bill's, then you actually don't have to apply as much force, because watts or power or anything, horsepower is cadence times force. If you have a higher cadence, you don't have to apply as much force. So think about this. If your cadence is naturally higher, naturally higher, it feels to you the exact same as doing it as somebody else that's got a lower cadence. Um, and, your, and your force is the same, right? But your cadence is higher, you're putting out more horsepower because it's the same force um, and hold on, I'm trying to look over my shoulder. Same force, but higher cadence, right? But it feels easy. Or you could do, um, well, I'm not. You could do uh, less force and and higher cadence. Now it's even easier, and you're going the same speed as your competition, right? As Bill. Um, so anyway, what I noticed was the more I started doing interval work, I started noticing. Oh, my cadence is high, like really high. Sitting out, uh, this morning, I was doing intervals, and my my RPM while doing intervals, without trying, without focusing on this, my cadence was a hundred and I think I hit hundred and eleven or something like that, right? And I've noticed that my um, typical hard working cadence is now in the upper nineties, 
if I'm applying, you know, kind of like applying myself a little bit, it's in the upper, upper 90s, you know, when it, um, and then my easy cadence is low 90s. It's like 92, 93. That's easy, right? So, and when, when it used to be, um, there's a guy picking. Okay, I'm back. Okay, so the, um, the end result is I'm going out for, on occasion, going out on a long outdoor bike ride, and I'm covering, um, in the same amount of time that I used to do, I'm covering way more miles, I'm doing it faster, and I'm doing it um, at the same perceived effort, um, but also at the same time, the even though it's the same perceived effort, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel as hard, you know? It's like, uh, the, the hills don't seem as steep, and the, uh, and that's another thing, is a limiter, when you're out riding or running in the real world, is terrain. Those little hills, and big hills too, especially, but little hills and going into the headwind and stuff, that's the stuff that you're, that you're having to raise your effort to fight against, and now because your max is so much higher, these things don't bother you. And the um, it becomes more and more obvious that this is why people who come from a background of a single sport who are really, really fast at it and really strong at it have um, such an advantage because they, um, they're easy is faster than your easy and their easy is faster because their top end is faster and because everything's a percentage you know it's all relative and their top end is faster because they've done work that increases strength and speed okay and all it takes is just a tiny bit of translation effort um, and pacing lessening to um, lessons, pacing lessons, uh, to learn, um, okay, uh, you know, how much effort should I put out when I try to go three hours instead of, uh, you know, half an hour or one hour or something like that, right? Okay. And then you start thinking about what what is the work for people that are single sport, right? So when I was on track in middle school, and in high, a little bit in high school, um, what is it? Well, you sit on a track and you warm up a little bit and then you run some 200s and you run some 100s and you run them hard. And then what do you, what do, you do in between? <laughs> Nothing. You walk around and talk with your friends and you chill out and that's okay and the coaches know that. On swim team, what do you do to get awesome? You... The pool is basically a track. You warm up, and then you do hard sprints, and then you wait by the wall to catch your breath while you're waiting for the coach to come up with more stuff, right? And the coach is fine with it because you're resting to recover so that you can do more hard stuff. And that is how fast people get fast. And you can look at uh, cycling. If you were to become a track cyclist cyclist, um, or even a road cyclist, it's bursty. Everything's bursty. 
you know, you rest, 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 and then bam, you know, do something hard, and then rest, 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 bam, do something hard, and those are meant, those are like sets, like lifting weights, and then a lot of rest and recovery in between, and then over time, you get uh, faster and stronger, and uh, and then your easy becomes faster. Okay, now there's one thing, there's many things, that I'm going to contrast with uh, what happened this weekend to show you... Um, how this actually works and and what's going on um, the probably the most important thing outside of the workouts themselves along with rest and recovery is to keep everything consistent and then that way if you keep everything consistent then you can judge without then you can judge on whether or not you're improving or not and see, this is difficult. If you have a really random, chaotic environment, you don't know what is leading you to improve and what's leading you to uh, uh, stagnate or, or get worse, right? And this is where, like, on the if, if you did your workouts on the trainer, it's a consistent environment. And you're like, well, I'm keeping this the same. So it must be what I'm eating or it must be my lack of sleep, you know, that's bringing me down or I'm doing my workouts too close together or I'm doing too many intervals and stuff like that. But the terrain is always the same and it's a very consistent, smooth terrain that uh, you get to dictate. And, um, and then, you know, like the timing, it's always the same time. You know, it's 48 hours apart. It's Monday, Wednesday, Friday mornings, you know, and then, uh, then you, you can always judge like what's, what's, uh, improving, what's causing improvement and what's not. This is really, really critical. So when we went to the uh, training farm this weekend and I'm out riding around, you talk about a chaotic environment that, um, I'm out riding on terrain that I, I'm not familiar with. So I don't, I don't really know when the next hill is coming up. And also the pavement was chaotic, so I'm having to uh, dodge around things and not not hit things. And it was raining, and um, I had a flat, so I had to have people come get me. And it just went on and on. And then uh, the food was chaotic. You know, I'm living out of somebody else's house, somebody else's kitchen, and I'm trying to find food to eat. So my fueling and everything else is inconsistent. And we don't think about this kind of stuff, but this is what leads to mediocre results where you plateau is because um, your bot, you can't focus your energy, you can't focus the stress you do need into your legs at a time when you need it because you've got stress coming from all over the place, all different angles and, and uh, in all different ways. You know, I ride my own roads when I go on an outdoor ride. I know where the rough pavement is, right? I know when the hill's going to end. I know where there's a, a section of road where it's dangerous to, uh, to ride fast. And I know there's a section of road where it's dangerous to ride slow. And um, because it's a consistent environment, I can use that environment to dose myself with um, what I need to be strong and I, to, to, you know, to improve me. 
and um, I'm not fending off arrows coming from all different crazy angles, you know. And then um, if I'm uh, oh, and then my fridge is my fridge with my own food, and I don't have to spend time, you know, looking for stuff. And I'm not trying to assemble my bike, put it together, and, and I'm not waiting on other people to uh, fix their flat tires and stuff like that. It's a very smooth, consistent environment. And this interview that Tawny did with um, Andy Potts, she just did, is so telling. You know, he does most of his training on the trainer and the very rare occasional outside ride. And then that way, he's able to focus his time on improving himself on the bike. The guy comes from a swimming background, right? So he's not a great biker, or he wasn't. But, again, he comes from swimming, so his swim is, is uh, great. And um, he's able to, uh, with a controlled environment, he's able to dose himself with the stress and watch the numbers to um, make himself know that he's improving on the bike and not um, and not wasting time out doing and hoping, as Sunto says, replacing luck, <laughs> hoping with luck that he's uh, improving. Um, with a controlled environment, he's able to see for sure that he's improving. And then also, um, because that environment is consistent, um, when you add or remove things, he can go, um, I think I'll try 100 more calories per hour, right? Let's, let's try that for example. You want, oh, I got a leaf blower. <laughs> you want to do um, 100 more calories per hour, right? Well, if you're riding the exact same conditions, the exact same amount of time um, as before, then you'll know if that 100 calories per hour is actually beneficial or if it's too much, right? But let's say that you're going to ride a different route with uh, some other friends and a new guy shows up and it's different weather and all kinds of things and you've eaten something different the day before and you've done all this stuff. Um, anything could have led to better or worse um, results uh, instead of the 100 calories per hour. Your sleep is off, like all kinds of stuff. And so I can't say enough how important it is for the thing that you're trying to improve uh, to keep the, the environment consistent. That's why a trainer is great for the bike. You could do the same running route or you could do a treadmill uh, for the run, and then the pool is actually really easy to keep consistent and uh, with a clock, right? That's why it's so easy to get faster in swimming, because it's a consistent environment. You can do what works, and then you know immediately. You have immediate feedback, because it's basically a track. Okay, um, I'll have more in a minute. Out. All right, I'm back. Okay, so let's do a quick review. Um, I've told you how you can increase your um, your overall power and or and or speed, and and it works in all three sports. I've told you I'm about scheduling it so that it works. I've told you about um, lessening stress everywhere else so that you apply the stress in the right place, um, which is increasing load very gradually. You want to very gradually increase this and. Um, I've told you about doing it in a repeatable, consistent place method. So like a trainer or on a treadmill or on the same running route or on the same bike route. Um, 
Now, if you do it on the same bike route and you need the same hills to do your intervals on, and um, again, it, the difficulty is in the discipline of doing the interval hard like you're lifting weights and then stopping um, when you're done um, and going super easy. And many people will fail at this and, um, and then say that it doesn't work. Um, it's, it's a lot of self-discipline to do that. Um, which is fine. It's easy to do. It's the discipline to do nothing, <laughs> to do less. Okay, so um, it's we say, oh, that's too much work. No, it's actually less work. It's just the discipline to do less work. And then um, one thing that I can easily see people saying is, uh, well, then if you look at the interval work, it's a very short amount of time, right? And it's then, then it's like, well, then how are you going to get in the volume? There's this whole volume problem, you know, to do a to do a triathlon. You need so many hours or so many miles of training. Um, that's not actually a problem. You're not looking at it correctly. Uh, what you do is you follow the method of polarized training, and this is exactly what polarized training is doing. Is um, you do the hard stuff like you're supposed to. And then everything else is super, super easy. And what people do is they do the easy too hard. The easy needs to be ridiculously easy. Like super, super easy. Just out jogging. Just out for a casual bike ride. Unbelievably low amount, amounts of effort. And when you're doing that, you can get in a ton of volume. All the volume that you ever want. And um, and that's when you're, you're you practice like fueling and... Nutrition's the same thing, and pacing, and like super, super easy, um, and it ends up not being a problem because all of a sudden your easy is gets to be fast, right? And so it's like, oh, well, it's kind of enjoyable because I'm not even trying that hard, and I'm going as fast as I used to go when I used to try hard. So, eh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. And um, so you got to go super, super mellow, super easy when um, when uh, not doing the interval stuff all the time. You're going to go out for a three-hour ride, do it easy. There's no point in doing it hard because you're not doing the interval work during your, uh, during your ride and you're going out for a long run, do it easy and avoid any hard work and just practice on your, practice your nutrition and your pacing and seeing the sights and just having some fun, you know? And... Then, um, so when you go super, 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 super easy, you can easily still do the volume, you know? You'll find that you probably don't need to do quite as much volume, maybe, because your, um, your, uh, your interval work is doing the improvement for you already, and the, it's, it's more like the volume is more of a therapeutic calming reassuring blanket of just, ah, you know, just like, for example, I'm going to run tonight, not because I really need to that much, um, just going to run because I like running and it's just getting in the volume. And the thing is, is I need to not run, I need to actually run easy because if I run hard at all or even medium, it's going to compromise my next bike interval workout where I'm, I'm going to try to get in some, uh, some, you know, 
sustained uh, interval work. I'm trying to find a parking spot. Okay, so I think. Um, oh, and then it's uh, well, if you're not going medium. You know, if you're not doing volume like you used to do, and you're not doing, and you're just doing super, super easy, how are you gonna, how are you gonna stay lean, and uh, or lose weight or whatever? Now, let me tell you something. If you do the intervals right, it is crazy how much your metabolism will be burning calories, so that you, um, man, there's not a parking spot out here, so that you don't. Um, have to really worry about um, new, uh, eating light, right? I've noticed that, um, like I said, the carb cravings are gone um, because of the fueling, the better fueling, and then I can actually um, eat. Because, because I'm fine with eating more um, healthy stuff in the middle, uh, you know, away from workouts because I've already taken care of the carby cravings uh, by eating more carbs during the workouts, um, I'm able to eat a lot more um, because, the, because what I am eating is actually super healthy stuff. And I, I, I'm, uh, my weight has been perfect and... I have um, no difficulty. This is the this is a really cool thing. I'm no longer fighting the urge to eat something, you know, which is what makes diets fail and which makes diets miserable. Is the um, like, oh, you know, oh, I want to eat that piece of cake, but I can't, right? So you're losing willpower right there. It's tough, and then you eventually cave in and then fail, and it's really really weird. Like, I'm not um, dealing with that anymore. I'm just, uh, the healthy food choices that I need to eat are easier to choose, and then I'm able to eat more and um, of that stuff, and then I'm fuller, right? So it doesn't really bother me. Um, I'm going to go watch one uh, uh, my son's uh, football game right now, and I'm going to sit there and drink a green smoothie while I'm watching it, and I'm going to be fine. And then when I go for my run later tonight... Um, before the run, I'm going to make sure I have enough carbs and then the run during the carbs or the, during the run, the carbs and after the run, the carbs. And then tomorrow morning, I'll wake up and I'll feel fine again. And my weight is, uh, oh, and um, the extra heavy duty intensity work that you do do <laughs> is um, it builds muscle. And while you're sitting around doing nothing, that muscle burns extra calories and you end up being leaner. So Hope that paints a picture of all the all the pieces and how it works. And um, everybody's environment's a little bit different, so getting it done um, in a way that works for you can be difficult um, at first. But I promise you, if you start trying to keep things consistent and you look at um, doing the hard interval stuff, like lifting weights. And if you need a reminder, go lift weights <laughs> and remember how it feels and how you do it and what's effective and then um, revisit that. So you got that back in your mind. And then you probably need to do everything else easier. And then you'll start to see you, when you start to see, when you start going easy enough with everything else, and this is the polarized, you're either going hard or easy. And it's mostly easy all the time. 
when you start going easy enough, which is ridiculously easy with the easy stuff, then the hard stuff, um, you'll start to see better numbers each time. It's pretty cool. All right, I got to go. How about me? All right, I'm at the uh, Bryan Aquatic Center pool. Cold swim. Let's go ahead and wind down on the whole how to be awesome at triathlon stuff because, you know, <clears throat> it's um, the stuff I'm telling you how to do this is good stuff, but um, things change. Um, everybody's a little bit different. So I don't want to. I don't like getting off on all like this is how to this is how to be awesome because um, things things don't work for everybody you know so um, I'm just finding something that's really working for me and if it works for me and it's all starting to make a whole lot more sense um, because uh, I just wanted to share it. So let's move on to other things. So I'm listening to, well, actually, I'm, I'm putting my uh, wet stuff from my swim into the roof box above my gas-guzzling Xterra here. And I'm about to uh, have an Amrita bar, a recovery bar. You're going to get to enjoy listening to me eat while I podcast. And uh, let's see. I did an hour swim. And I did, um, I drank some juice on the way to the pool. It's about a 20-minute drive, so that's perfect, you know, drinking some juice. So I hit the water and warmed up really quickly because of the sugar in the juice. And then, hold on, I'm going to start opening this Amrito bar. And then I started doing uh, intervals. On, uh, I decided to do... Um, swim for an hour and every 10 minutes do a one minute hard interval oh it's good and it's cold they did maintenance on the pool and so they refilled it and the water's cold the water's 71 degrees 72 and the air temperature is probably 55 or something like that so it's a little chilly <laughs> And I brought with me an Amrita recovery bar. And, oh, it's good. It's just chocolate maca. Mmm. Ah. And I have a, um, a bike bottle with me. And while I was swimming, I had it full of um, Powerade. That I got, and I just bought the Powerade powdered version, and uh, actually I was going to buy Gatorade, but all they had was Powerade, and made a bottle of it at regular strength, and then every, uh, so I'd swim easy, and then hammer out a, a one minute hard interval, which is about 100 meters, and then, uh, stop and like I was saying earlier you know kind of walk easy 25 yards and then start swimming again but I would uh, after each hard interval I'd re-energize by um, taking a sip of the um, a big lug of the Powerade 
and that gave me nice even energy throughout the workout. Um, I also was thinking that, ooh, nice motorcycle, squirrel. The people get a little bit um, concerned, and they should, about doing speed work and interval work, that it's um, an easy way to get in, injured. One of the reasons you don't want to do lots of interval work is, yeah, you can get injured. <laughs> I'm cold. Hold on. I'm trying to talk at the same time. You can get injured while doing this stuff um, because it's the abrupt change of going hard, you know, it's too much stress on the joint or muscle or a tendon or something like that. And yeah, that's, um, that's a concern. I, I'm going to tell you how to get around that. So it's not a big deal at all. Okay. And this is how it works. Um, think, let's go back to weightlifting again. Drink. <laughs> um, why in weightlifting do you do three sets of intervals instead of just one massive set of intervals until total complete failure and and uh, you know so on and so forth? Why do you break it up into three or four you know sets, and then why do you break it up into reps? Why not just lift one heavy, super heavy weight one time, right? Well. The reason you don't do that, because you're like, well, that would be a big time saver. If I just completely did one max lift, then um, about to see a car get eaten up by an 18-wheeler. Um, if I just did one big max lift, wouldn't that stress my muscles out? And then uh, I would uh, be stronger, um, you know, two days later. Um Yes, theoretically, that would work. The thing is, is that's really unsafe. <laughs> so, um, you watch tough man competitions where they got to lift like a, a boulder, and then there's a there's a video online of a guy lifting lifting this massive boulder and get trying to get it up there, and then he can't do it. And the oh, you can see all kinds of videos like this, like bench press or whatever. They try to lift this massive weight, and then it's the absolute most they can do. And then half the time they fall over backwards and the weight crushes them, you know, and then they get injured and it's like catastrophic, um, vomiting, blood, broken bones and stuff like that, right? It's dangerous. So what you do is you do much less than your potential and you just do it um, longer and oh, I got a traffic jam up ahead you do it longer and you do it with reps and sets so that you're slightly dosing yourself and then um, and then the longer you do it the harder it gets and then you quit All right so let's talk about instead of um, the wrong way to do an interval in the pool would be to do all-out max 25 yards, right? Maximum. Um, that's a really good way to get injured. Um, you want to save that for the people that really know what they're doing once, very rarely once in a while. And they don't even do that. It's The shortest is like a 50 uh, once you get older. Um, so instead, you do... Um, 100 yards and the first 25 yards 
you slowly ramp up to top what feels like kind of close to top speed and then see how that's a gradual increase and then you increase some more um, over the next 25 yards and then you try to hold it for another 50 yards and then by the time you're done with that 50 yards you're pretty exhausted but you don't what you're avoiding what you're doing is a gradual ramp up over 10 15 20 30 seconds to a um, a max speed and or a nice decent effort that's going to fatigue you and it's that gradual ramp up that uh, that avoids the instant shock of of going from zero to a hundred <laughs> um, as fast as possible. That's what you want to avoid. If you avoid that, you'll greatly reduce injury. You know. Okay. Um, listening to an audiobook, Scott Adam Adams of Dilbert fame, the author of Dilbert, and it's a very pragmatic, which means practical, approach to productivity and success. It's actually really cool. Uh, chapter 11 of the book is about it, uh, the most important thing is to maintain your energy levels um, because and pay attention with, uh, med- with uh, kind of meditation but just paying attention, which is very zen, to um, what brings up your energy levels and what brings them down. And then once you um, make sure, once you master that and then make sure that you optimize that, then that sets your foundation for the rest of your uh, life and uh, productivity and happiness and getting things done because you learn to manipulate your energy levels and optimize them so that when you have stuff that you know needs to get done, you make sure that you know how to have energy for them. So um, he said uh, that has everything to do with uh, sleep and uh, nutrition and exercise and then paying attention, if something gives you more energy, this is all about paying attention. It always comes back to the Zen stuff, you know? And it's, uh, you pay attention to what gives you more energy, you know? And it's different per person, like I was saying earlier. Um, his example was shopping exhausts him. He doesn't like to shop. And, um, but for some people it's very energizing, you know? And so, um, like me, I kind of like shopping. I think it's fun. But I know one thing that exhausts me is being in a big group of people for too long. I just like, ugh, I don't like it. Um, But uh, cleaning up, another thing is neatening and organizing things actually gives him energy. And see, that's different, right? That's different than some people. Um, some people neaten and organize to procrastinate. <clears throat> and, but uh, for some people, it's, a, um, it's an energizer. Kind of neaten up some stuff and then you feel better about yourself and then that gives you energy and then you can tackle something um, to, uh, you know, that was a little bit more difficult to do. I, I've got something that I've figured out recently by paying attention you know, a common uh, mind, the common mindset is that 
Um, you should just do the hardest task first. So you got a list of tasks, and you're like, okay, well, uh, I've only got so much energy, so I should do the hardest one first. I'm actually the opposite, and um, I've found out that I do better by doing smaller tasks first, and it's kind of like a gateway drug, (laughs) where it's like, oh, I get a little bit of success with this, it gets me momentum, and it gets me going, and now that I'm in the task-doing mode, um, I start looking at the harder task and start, uh, you know, pecking away at the harder one and, um, breaking it down into pieces and accomplishing little pieces of it. And then now I've done part of the harder one and might as well just finish it. Right. And that's the opposite of, of, uh, eat that frog and all that other, all that productivity stuff that, um, that they teach. And I only learned that by paying attention. And so you can pay attention too and say, Oh, you know, on days that I um, sleep, if I sleep better at night, then I have a good workout in the morning, and when I have a good workout in the morning, I have a good rest of the day, and um, then I'm energized. If I eat enough carbs during my morning workout, I'm actually energized throughout the morning, and then um, um, then if I eat enough, that gives me the uh, energy to eat enough protein, uh, like scrambled eggs or whatever, uh, during the morning. And so then during the morning I eat that and then I have the energy to make a green smoothie and then that green smoothie, um, makes me happy that I'm in control of my life and, uh, not doing stuff. And then uh, it keeps my weight down because it's, a, that's a lot of veggies. And then with the green smoothie and my weight down, um, and the energy, I don't feel uh, like I need to sleep in the at lunch or in the afternoon. I don't feel sleepy. And then um, I get more done. And then I feel good about myself. And then um, in the evening, I feel like I can go for an evening workout because I've got my life under control and I don't have anxiety. And because of that, I have self-confidence and I don't need to waste uh, away the evening poking around at the internet and then watching TV and then uh, staying up too late and then the cycle repeats itself, see? And that's how you manage energy throughout the day. So anyway, Scott Adam, um, Scott Adams, I keep saying Adam. Scott Adams' book, let me look up the title real quick. It's It's over here, hold on. I'm looking. Where'd it go? It is called How to Hold on, let me get back. How to fail at everything and still win big. How to fail at everything and still win big by Scott Adams, and it's um, on Audible. And um, he's a really good storyteller. He's got some interesting stuff that happened in his life, and basically. The whole gist of the book is that if you um, uh, if you don't you you can look at failure at it as as something not to be afraid of. That if you I think his phrase was pickpocket failure <laughs> for um, you try to pluck out of failure things uh, lessons 
and uh, difficulties that, uh, that can improve you. And then from those, it may not seem like it at the time, but you, um, those difficulties become things that you learn and know, right? And then they make you better and better and better. And then eventually you can, well, and then also you can make your own luck by um, putting yourself in the right place at the right time, trying to over and over and over again. And eventually something will work out. And all the stuff that you've done and failed at leading up to that um, will uh, will build your skill set so that when you're finally at a point where you're, uh, it's a it's a perfect storm of stuff that that uh, you're in the right place at the right time. All the stuff that you've failed at previously that has taught you lessons, <laughs> you'll be able to apply those lessons now at the right place and the right time and succeed, right? So let's say it's uh, triathlon racing. Uh, you do okay at this race, but you fail at this one part, like one piece of it, um, and you learn a lesson, and then you learn a lesson, and then you learn a lesson, and then you learn a lesson, don't do this, don't do that. You start learning, you know, what's important, and then at a, uh, or like job interviews are a good one too, right? So you do a bunch of job interviews and you don't get the job, but you learn each time, you know, like what to wear and then what to say and what not to say and how, to, you know, you just keep improving. And then, um, finally a job, the job comes along that you're applying for. And because you've mastered how to, uh, execute, then, uh, you say the right thing at the right time and you do the right things at the right time and then you get the job that you want. Um, this worked for me in dating. And then when I finally met Emily, <laughs> I had dated enough where I, uh, I knew what worked in general and um, I pulled out all the stops of all the right things that uh, would work and that typically worked and then um, they worked on Emily finally <laughs> and that's how I got the girl so anyway that's it I'm going to eat something out bang. hello alright I'm back <laughs> alright let's go ahead and wrap up this show we got to wrap it up so that we have uh, stuff for another show on down the road. We're getting really close to Austin and the Iron Baby, um, which reminds me, you uh, want to support the Iron Baby? Check out zentrathloncom ironbaby. I need to update the page. Maybe I'll do that this weekend for this year. And uh, let's see, that's probably October or November 9th, and it's a full-on Ironman that... I think I mentioned earlier in the show. Um, uh, I got an idea. Somebody proposed to me to, to uh, you know, they wanted to do this. They want to do the Iron Baby remotely. And I'm like, yeah, you know what? Um, it, it is a lot of work and energy to put on a race and do it at the same time. Um, maybe I should angle my efforts to doing the, um, to making the race uh, more of a remote thing where people can do it on their own and then just report their results. And thank you for putting on your blinker. And, and then that becomes more powerful as far as uh, fundraising and fun and number of people's 
number of people's <laughs> involved. Hey, I'm about to hit a school zone. Let me let me come back in a second. All right, I'm back. So let's do this. The two weeks leading up to the Iron Baby, uh, October uh, November 9th, and the two weeks after November 9th, that whole range, those whole five weekends are the season for the Iron Baby. Out of five weekends, I think um, you could find time. And you go out and do a self-supported something. Um, make it a triathlon if you can. And unless you got an injury and you can't do, you know, one of the legs. So triathlon or duathlon, something. And um, then that is uh, your iron baby. And then report back to me. And what I'll try to do is, what I will do is I'll set up a page and we'll put everybody that's doing something, list a link to what you're doing, your best link, like your Twitter account, or if you set up a web page or something like that, to what you're doing. And then we'll count them all as Iron Baby, and um, then we'll uh, collectively throw in uh, fundraising, and then we'll catch up with each other, and then uh, estimate live and with. And if you can do your thing live, that's awesome too. And then... Um, we'll use the one that I do as the, uh, the, the head of household, I guess I'll come up with a better phrase for all of them yeah, as the, as the hub of the wheel. And then everybody's a spoke and then we get this wheel rolling and we have a lot of fun. So, um, look to my Twitter account, zentrathlon.com and, um, Put on there uh, or follow it for updates on what I'm doing as far as organizing this. And because coming to College Station, Texas to do an Iron Baby is a lot of work. I mean, we've got people that live in Israel, uh, China, New Zealand, uh, Sweden, all over the place, um, Central South America, and they want to do this, but they can't come to College Station, Texas, and it's a limiter, you know. So let's think bigger, let's use the internet. And make it even bigger. And if you can, if you live in the Texas area and you want to come here, that's cool. And have some good fun. But if not, that's cool as well. How about that? Okay. And then, let's see. I've been doing uh, more food experimentation. And wow, man, does it make a difference. I Things may change because we're always wrong about stuff. And I love listening to the Dilbert book. It's really long, which is nice. So it's a good bang for your buck. And the Dilbert book, the Scott Adams book, and um, because he talks a lot about nutrition and um, how it shapes your day, and then you're more successful based on uh, your attitude and your mood because of what you eat. And I agree totally. And he's really on track with something, and I seem to be having the same results. And um, to take it one step further, like I mentioned earlier. I really think there is something to this leveraging your carbs at the right time so that you feel um, you you fill the need for your carbs uh, and you do it while working out and then when you the further you get away from working out the less you need them but the better you make food choices away uh, from your working out because you've filled that hole that uh, needs the carbs and then so you uh, eat healthier um, and more veggies and protein and fat and stuff. 
uh, away from your workouts. Um, and so much of what we're doing, uh, from what I can tell, um, is uh, trying to catch up with carbs later um, when it's not appropriate. And then it leads to hormonal stuff that um, adds to weight gain and difficulties and frustration and misery, you know. Um, this morning, I was getting into the shower, and I've got more abs showing than usual, more than before, and it seems to be headed that direction, you know. And also, my watch on my wrist is starting to get loose on my wrist, and it's starting to rub up my wrist bone and irritate it. And I'm like, man, that's... Uh... But it's between sizes. <laughs> So, um, but that's new, you know, and it's like, uh, I'm getting, I'm getting leaner. My weight's staying about the same, but body fat is, um, leaving and muscle is being added in the right places, which is all cool. And on top of that, I've noticed, um, this morning I was just in a fantastic mood and it has to do with, um, with, uh, eating some sugary stuff before my workout, sugary stuff during my workout, sugary stuff after my workout, but check this out. If you add up the total calories, it's, I don't know, like um, 400 or something like that. But during my workout, I'm burning like 700. So even if you try, it's almost impossible to eat as much um, carbs as you need during your workout. And then, um, then uh, uh, later, I'm not craving them. And then I'm in a great mood. It's really cool. And uh, let's see, what else do we have? Wait, hold on. All right, I'm back. Sorry, I had to do something. But the um, the whole thing about food is mood and leveraging stuff uh, really does seem to work. And we'll talk a lot more about that as uh, we go on uh, through more episodes talking about this. Um, and then also this weekend was just a past weekend was like a disaster one after another and using uh tools to try to um that I've learned over the years um to try to you know leverage perspective and mood and food and and uh, preparedness and all that um I really seem to come out on the positive end of what could have been a really bad situation you know I've stepped on a metal spike but I took the initiative to demand medical treatment as fast as possible <laughs> and it seems to uh, possibly have fixed things and um, getting help from people when I could, uh, eating the right stuff at the right time and also doing the stuff at the right time and a lot of times doing what, what, what you know is the right thing to do even though you don't want to do it, it sets you up for um, a better, uh, environment so that you get the right stuff done, you know? So, um, like, and it's the basics, you know, eating right and sleeping right made me, um, able to handle a really tough, a tough, tough training, uh, situation that, uh, I got it done anyway, in spite of everything, and it's because I didn't freaking, I had the energy to do it because I felt great um, because of eating and sleeping, right? And um, I think that's it for the show. 
Yeah, we've got the Austin 70.3 coming up. We've got peak training. Well, we've already done the peak training and tapering. Uh, more nutrition stuff and more uh, interval stuff, of course. All right, that's it. Uh, everybody stay safe out there. Work the uphills, cruise the downhills, and keep the rubber side down. Out. Oh, wait, I forgot. <laughs> hey, if you found anything of what I said useful or inspirational or something that you want to use and you want to give back, please find the donation button on the left side of zentrathlon.com. It makes a huge difference in the podcast and uh, what I do and also uh, Emily allowing me to do what I do when it helps pay the bills. Uh, she's a big fan of Zentry when she looks at the uh, PayPal account and we're trying to save up for stuff like Kai's bike or a race entry fee and or bike equipment and uh she's like ah oh, yeah she's connected the dots that zentry helps pay the bills and i and we're doing it through um giving advice and um training tips and such and people give back so if you feel like it that it's really helped you out and you want to give back that's how you can left side of zentrathlon.com and uh there's a paypal link right there all right that's it everybody rocket out bang